Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. You deserve the truth. The enemy is at our gates. The fight for humanity. I look at your faces. I do not see defeat. No! And I do not see surrender. He is far from over. You will not make that stand alone. We have something the enemy does not. We have heroes. Halo. New season now streaming. Exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Revely, revely, donks. Look at us now, tip to tip. This is our life. This is our passion. That's the spirit we bring to this show. I'm Luke Thomas. I'm Brian Campbell. This is Morning Combat. If you've got a case of the Mondays, we got a case of the MK, and BC's got a case of chlamydia. Hi, everyone. It is Morning Combat right here on this 18th day of September, 2023. My name is Luke Thomas. I am one half of your host and duo. I join you from the capital of Estados Unidos right here in Washington, D.C., joined by my friend, on that side of the screen, he is now BC. He was at a wedding last night, folks. So here's my question: On a scale of I have a headache to why did I wake up and find my pants all wet? How hungover are you? Uh, I'd say the the hangover out of ten is only a four, which is which was nice. I mean, I only had three drinks, but uh, it, the you know the washed exhaust exhausted feeling. Because by the way, it was like a barbecue buffet wedding, which is you know really oh. the greatest of all time. Shout out to cousin Morgan, fantastic. Uh, so yeah, I'm just washed and old, but uh, you know, a couple donks in the wild at the wedding, Luke. It was very happy to see that. Uh, uh, my my cousin Connor's life partner Jesse was on was there and 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 it was it was really nice to see the love out there. But yeah, good times, great oldies with the family. I caught up on the fights though, Luke, and I am wearing a a belated gift in the mail that came to me uh, because the the package was damaged. And I'm talking about the average Joe out Joe Art crossover, the super washed dad shirt, the one love hat on here. Um, Luke, I just want to say that there ain't nothing average about this design or the way this shirt looks and feels on me, but. I don't think even my shirt is the story here. Our staff, Luke, true or false, were could not believe that you owned a red shirt, let alone are wearing one. This was basically the equivalent of you showing up with your underwear outside your pants like Appy yes. at a at a London live show, you know? Yeah, well, I'll show it here very quickly if I can. Uh, on Friday, there it is. You can kind of see. Hold on, let me get the tour on the back. Can you see? Yeah, it has the tour dates on the back. On Friday, your boy went to see Pantera. I saw Pantera at uh, the Jiffy Lou Pavilion in in uh, Virginia. By the way, that drive, I mean, I cannot believe people live out there, but they do. All right, either way, you neither here nor there. Damn, dude. I, I went in there. I even told my wife before we got there, I was like, I don't, I'm not going to have low expectations for this. I mean, you know, half the band is dead and... I don't yeah. really know what to make of it. The genre's Dude. dying, you know. I mean, the, genre, the, genre's, the genre's been dead. I mean, the genre's very dead. But yeah. uh, so are the lyrics, Luke, about death and dismay. No, no, not Pantera. Pantera's not like that at all. But um, do they? They were unbelievable. 
I could. I was shocked. Wow. At how well, good they were. Okay. What what role did Zach Wild play in this being just a kick ass and tremendous event? Major hero. Major hero. First of all, like the sound was so good, dude. Zach Wild. I, again, I had low expectations. I was like, you know, it's gonna be what it's gonna be, dude. He hit every note, and then would kind of Zach Wild it up a little bit. Where he kind of, you know, he plays with, you know, the strings along the fret line or whatever, and he, he gets that very unique kind of squealy sound that he makes. He kind of introduced that over time, but like, I mean, everything was on point. The drummer, I forget his name, dude, he was a fucking megastar. I will say this: right. F- Phil Anselmo can still sing. He can still sing. He cannot move. He cannot move anything. He's barefoot the whole time and just kind of like, you know. Like sheepishly okay, so moving around. Who looks more like they should be working the graveyard Cumberland Farms shift at cashier, Phil Anselmo or Jed Mishu at this moment, Luke? No, well, Jed Mishu looks like the world's biggest dirtbag. I mean, he looks like he vapes 24-7 and spends all of his disposable income on OnlyFans subscriptions. Yes, I mean, he really definitely. is the worst. So he wasn't that bad. He wasn't that bad. But I will say this. Last thing. I saw Rage Against the Machine not too long ago, and now I saw Pantera. These bands from the 90s who have been popular enough to like have a second life at touring, they've got it down pat, dude. Yeah. They've got it down pat. Because uh, I saw Lamb of I mean, God. They were pretty to. good, too, but not You still want to do big arenas or, or, or do big you know, big cities and stuff. you got to bring it. I, I was yeah. it similarly blown away when I saw Pearl Jam on the 06 Avocado Tour, Luke. And Ooh. I was like, oh, they got better over the years. They right, got right, right. way better. Um yeah. The, the only thing I was dude, bitter at, dude, they didn't they didn't play some of my favorite songs. I was a little bit bitter about that, but other than that, it was great. So, okay, okay. Well, you, you look great in that shirt, Luke. It's nice to add that to the rotation. The staff was happy, and uh, <laughs> this great merch crossover, by the way, which includes this hat, this uh, mug. I mean, tell them about it, Luke, right? Fantastic. Yes, you can go to morningcombat.store, of course, for more. The entire Average Joe art line is available. If you don't want to get that, of course, we still have other stuff, but... The requests for this have been pretty tremendous, so I want folks to know it's up there. Selling like hotcakes, morningcombat.store. Let's go through the rundown if we can here a little bit. If you want to get Showtime, you certainly can. Showtime.com, 30-day free trial. If you'd like it, you can keep it. If not, feel free to bounce. And then, of course, morningcombat at gmail.com will be the email du jour to reach the show. Last but not least, BC, we want to remind everyone, voting is almost over. Vote for MK on the World MMA Awards. I believe we have a graphic for that. There it is. You can put your phone up to the screen. You can use the QR code right there, or you can just go to worldmmaawards.com and vote for us in BC. We always say that this one is the most important, but really it actually is. Yeah, yeah, we're going to be honest with you. I mean, we're going to be here. Our show's still going to be here. But we could use this at the moment. We actually could use this at the moment. Really it could, could be valuable it, yeah. for us. Uh, it could be, okay? More news to come, but it could be very valuable for us. So uh, vote with your heart. Or don't vote at all. I mean, do you think I like Luke? Not to steal Dennis Larry's bit, who we probably stole from Bill Hicks, but do you think I like when, you know, Joe Walsh is telling me how to vote or Puff Daddy? No, but, uh, you hey, know. vote so, or die. How about that? Just vote Yeah, how about die. that? How about that? All right. But, Just hey, if you want to back us, you want to back uh, the blue balls of Aaron Bronze there, then do that, too, with uh, Best MMA Journalist there. But uh, thank you. All right. With that out of the way, BC, uh, oh, very quickly, very quickly, do you want to check in on OK Bet? Because there's big news there. Yeah, yo, this is huge news. Maybe the first time this segment went from struggling to front page news. I received an intense amount of tweets after my prediction (laughs) of Raul Rojas Jr. by TKO came to came to incredible Rosas came to incredible uh, accurate uh, 
anyway, here's the here here it is. Here it is. Let's see it, Mikey. Let's, Let's put the graphic up of this. Week. I think we've got what here. Okay, so these were BC's picks. The main event, as we all saw, did not go to a winner. It went to a draw. So that's a push for me and BC because I also had Grasso. But he wins on Jack De La Maddalena. He he whiffed on the Jasmine one, which I did think was a good bet. Yeah, but I still won watching that, Luke, just so you're aware. All right. The (laughs) Zepeda-Hesta fight, as I understand it, was a beatdown. Dude, it was one-sided. I got that dead wrong. One-sided traffic for Zepeda. But you nailed the Rosas Jr.-Mitchell fight ending in a KO. So you get 2-2 and and 1. And if they got my picks, just, I mean, the worst fucking array of picks. (laughs) Push Push on Grasso. Fernando Padilla fucking lost. He was expected. And the commentary team was talking him up the whole time. I do regret my Kevin Holland pick because he just he is very, very talented, and we'll talk about this more, but he doesn't always fight to win as much as you might imagine. Uh, Godinez beat the living dog shit out of Elise Reed. It did not go the distance. And, of course, we all knew that the Rosas-Mitchell fight was going to end early. It was just a question of sub or KO. BC got that one. I now, love I will that say this, you, BC, you tried to cherry pick on the other side of the court with, I with paid Godinez. For it. I paid for it. I paid for it. I will say this. I did do well in my uh, betting on NFL games over the weekend. I went 2-0, and oh, so I'll, I'll take that. So eat shit. All right. All right what, but the, what's the, the what's the, do we have the updated standings? What are the updated standings? Because I think BC is now in the lead Uh-oh. once and for all. Do I think you hear me knocking, Luke. I think I'm coming in. Can you see there this? Uh, no, that's, that shouldn't be right because I think BC has more wins than that. I think BC is tied with wins now. No, I think I have one more win because I ah, had two. We don't have the new one. Dagger. Okay. Okay. I, you know, they didn't. T- they told me math wasn't a part of this, Luke, but I believe that I am one win higher than you and then you have like three more ties than I do. That might be right. That might be right. I don't so now, know. How, does so that, now, does that so now it's out? on, dude. Now it's, it's on. on. I, it's on. I let you worm your way back in like yep. the unworthy piece of shit that you are. And here now I've created problems for myself. Now you know, you let me in the, the house. Luke, you let me in the house and suddenly there was, you know, coins missing off the dresser. And, you know, there's uh, all these buns, but no dogs. You know what I mean? Like nothing matches up anymore, Luke. It's going to turn bad for you. So, hey, O'Teal. Get up in the bullpen with that base, brother. You know what I'm saying? No, Let's no, no. get You're this guy loose. You're still going to see gore guts with me, motherfucker. That's still going to happen. <laughs> uh, so so I guess I'm still... No, no, BC's in the lead because he's got one more win, although you do have an upside-down record. So I'm 65-65-4. and four, Literally no better than flipping a coin. BC is 66, but then 67-1. and one. So he's got okay. two more losses, one more win, and then one draw. So technically, who's in the lead at the moment? I don't know. I I, I don't. Yeah, I actually don't know how that. this would work. I would think your brother because doctor. I have a five hundred record. But can we phone a friend? Games. How mad would your brother be if we put him on speaker right now just to use his doctorate in math to to figure oh, this yes. out? Luke? Oh, so BC has the higher win percentage because I have more draws, uh, even though you have one more loss than you do a win. So it really would depend by how we measure it, but I'd be fine with that if that's how you want to do it. Can you call your brother to to get an accurate? He would would hang up immediately. He would hang up immediately. All right. right. With that in mind, though, we we have a lot to get to. So let's set the table here. Let's get to topic number one. So, over the weekend, you can check it out if you hadn't seen it already, youtube.com slash morningcombat for my Noche UFC post-fight show that is available to watch. But, of course, that means we did not get BC's opinion on something. The main event goes to a split draw. So, Alexa Grasso retains her title because she didn't get it taken from her, but she did not win the fight, nor did she lose. No one won or lost, as I mentioned. No, she said she won. I don't know if you heard her after. She said she won. I heard her. I heard her, but I mean, there's no official record that she won. It's, It's the draw. Okay. But the scores are kind of interesting. BC, before I throw it to you, I want to put them up on the screen. I sent the graphic to uh, Gaff before the show. I believe we have it. 
It's just a picture of the scores. Here we go. We'll talk about all of them in just a minute. Judge Mike Bell had it 47-47. That's the one that set the internet ablaze. Sal Diamato had it 48-47 for Shevchenko, giving her rounds 1, 3, and 4. And then Junichiro Camijo had it for 48-47 for Grasso, which is, of course, how I had it as well. Thank you, guys. I appreciate that. All right, BC, let me ask you the question. I know it's a draw, but who won that fight? It should have been Valentina Shevchenko. And it does, Ooh. in a lot of ways, come down to that swing fourth round. Luke, did you just say you scored it 3-2 to two for Grasso? Yes, but I, re- I do recognize 3-2 to two Chev is... Completely right. understandable, so, no problem. So I think that's what it is. It comes down to that fourth round. Obviously, it's the 10-8 fifth round that made this a draw, which, look, who got done wrong in the end? I think it was Valentina. Not a robbery, although not certainly not the correct score. If you had it 3-2 to two Grasso, I got no problem with that. I scored it three rounds to two Shevchenko. I gave her the very close fourth round based on the damage of landing the elbow that led to that cut, and I think her jab was just more consistent to try to offset those knees to the not-nearly-grounded opponent and the takedown that Grasso did early. But, Luke, while I said sort of like, damn the stats in the first fight, here's what my eyes saw, Grasso was the better fighter, I think that was actually flipped over this time around. This rematch was so hotly contested. Just a beautiful fight in so many ways to see the adjustments from both. And obviously, Grasso, for the second straight fight, was able to capitalize on on not an error or mistake from from Shevchenko, but was able to sort of turn that trip takedown defense into taking her back and having the grounds for a 10-8 that, again, just doesn't feel right at all. But... Shevchenko closed the gaps, in my opinion, in the key areas in which I felt she was overwhelmed on the feet with the boxing, particularly when Grasso went to the southpaw stance in their first fight. This time around, Shevchenko was busier. Her counter left hand across the uh, right over the top was perfect, accurate throughout. She mixed in the good body kicks and she leaned on that wrestling to win rounds without pouring out the gas tank in the end like the first time. Not you know, not an egregious pour out, but I think that was the difference in that first fight. Grasso was fresher late. I thought at the opening of round four, Shevchenko might have looked like she was slowing down a bit, like maybe the taxing nature of rounds two and three and all that ground action uh, caught up to her, but it didn't, Luke. She fought fantastic. Yes, Grasso peaked late. Yes, she had a beautiful finish to steal a round that was probably going to go Shevchenko's way. And that's ultimately the ar- the argument against that 10-8. Everyone's going to go, well, there wasn't enough damage for a 10-8. And I do think you're right. But I think what makes that 10-8 so much more egregious is the fact that Shevchenko was winning a, a close and not that exciting round leading up to that change, which meant that should have been enough for 10-9 and nothing more. It, you know, And then, you again, you can certainly add in the, the key glaring factor that there just wasn't enough damage being done. Uh, beautiful fight. Sucks that the 10-8 had to cost it, but even if that 10-8 didn't happen, Luke, is there an argument for Grasso 3-2? Yes, there certainly is. Round four, you really, I do believe, could go either way, but I think snapshot as a whole, Shevchenko was the better fighter. Grasso was not able to figure out the takedown issue. She was able to work out of some bad positions and stay alive and allow room for that fifth round rally. And you got to give her so much credit. That's the big thing she brings to this matchup against this legend is the fact that Grasso is sturdy, strong, never gives up in so many ways. She was the perfect fighter to be in the main event in this Noche close-up, reaching out so aggressively to the Mexican fan base. But did she win the fight? That's the key question. No. And I think unlike the first I don't even think she won the story of the fight. This is a 35-year-old all-time great in Shevchenko who went back to the lab, got in even better shape, got even more focused, and made the right adjustments to, I think, as a whole, perform good enough to get her hand raised. 
Um, unfortunately, this Mike Bell situation, Luke, we're not even coming down really to that debate of who won the fourth round because that scorecard from him kind of ruined it. Kind of ruined it, you know? Hate it. Hated it. So I mean, where, just, where's just to that, clarify, what rounds did you have? One three four or one three five for Shevchenko? I have one three four for Shevchenko. Grasso bounced back cleanly in round two, like in uh similar to the first fight where Dro- Grasso won the her. first one. Shevchenko came right back to take it. But I think round three was a Shevchenko round, and then Luke comes down to that round four. So you scored round four for Grasso. Again, I have no issue with that. But Dan, does it suck that this one rogue 10-8 scorecard literally was the decider? I hate that shit. I want to talk more about Shevchenko's performance because I dug deeper into the numbers, and they were actually very surprising. At first, they were not. On, on the, my first glance at them when I was doing the post-fight show, because you know, I'm trying to host and look at numbers at the same time, I didn't catch this detail. But I caught some other ones. But first, let's talk about that 10-8. Now, I have another graphic that I sent to Mikey. This comes from Eric McGracken, combat sports lawyer, or just a lawyer, but combat sports law, I think, is his website. This is the Nevada criteria for 10-8. And I can't go through all of it. We kind of know what we're looking for, but they say a result is referred to as 10-8 when it uh, meets the following principles. Uh, A round has to be scored. The winning unarmed combatant must have dominated the action of the round, had duration of the dominance, and impacted his or her opponent with effective strikes, effective grappling maneuvers, or both that diminish their abilities of their opponent. A score of 10-8 round is not the most common score for a round, but essential, of course. Then they go on a little bit, and they say a score of 10-8 does not require an unarmed combatant to dominate or impact his opponent for the entire round, which we knew. And, of course, the judge can use it in certain cases. Flip to the other one. There's a second page to this very quickly if we can. Uh, let's see here. There we go. And with respect to what dominance and effective aggressiveness and effective grappling means, you know, I, I, we can't go into reading all of this. Folks can take a screenshot or they can go and look up this these bylaws for themselves. BC, I, I, I did read them, and I encourage other folks to do the same. I don't know what someone could see in there and then look at what happened in round five as as a 10-8 round. I mean, to yeah. your point, Shevchenko was basically winning a close, but you know, I thought relatively clear round in the fifth until about 90 seconds left. Now, the, t- the tide turned dramatically after that, so that's why I gave it to Grasso. I thought she did the more impactful work when it mattered. But there was at least some debate, some debate, about who even won that round, the the notion just on that it could be 10-8 sort of is, is inherently contradictory. And more to the point, like Chris Bell apparently, excuse me, Mike Bell, what am I saying? Mike Bell scored a few of the rounds that he judged over the course of the evening 10-8, many of them very good. I'm actually glad he's willing to use one when he feels it's appropriate. I would just say this is a simply a clear-cut case of a good officiant. Mike, Mike Bell actually is a pretty good judge. But I don't. I I literally don't even know what it could be. Like if he if she got the back BC and held it for the duration, which she did mostly, but not entirely. But also really landed heavy blows that were causing her to constantly thrash and writhe in agony, or cut her, or like did some you know substantial damage combined with submission, or just getting absolutely chicken winged out with a half Nelson, or something. You know, some kind of really aggressive, mean level of control. That'd be one thing, and it was good, but it wasn't even close to that. No. Honestly, it's one so, more baffling 10-8s I think I've ever seen. 
So I think he got caught up, unfortunately. So the after Grasso took the back, took advantage of what Shevchenko was trying to do, countered it so quickly, so beautifully, full level of urgency. You have to love everything about that. Had a, a, a submission threat. Then she, tra- I'm sorry, right before the submission threat, this is what set up her being able to lay Shevchenko back and try the choke. It was a flurry of ground and pound that was the best stuff, you know, uh, Grasso landed all fight outside of that beautiful three-punch combination that dropped Shevchenko in round two. And I think Bell got locked up in this part, Luke, for about five seconds. Those are the type of sequences of strikes that leads to stoppage. I was holding my breath, even though when I rewatched it, I knew the outcome already because I'm like, oh, crap, like she's on the verge of getting stopped. Yes, in that moment... That, you know, Val had a bite down. She had to move quickly to get out of that. And to her credit, she did. I just think that Bell took the image of that, how close it did appear that Mm. she looked to getting stopped, combined it with the legitimate submission attempt, which followed, but didn't go anywhere. But what he forgot about, unfortunately, Luke, was not only the entire round before that, as we just talked about, but you got to give Shevchenko this credit, understanding the situation, knowing how to win close fights or put herself in that spot. In that final minute, after fighting off the choke attempt, she was busier from the bottom with with Grasso on her back. I'm not saying these are great strikes. I'm not saying these strikes are landing or even hurting. But she's showing the judges, I'm fighting this entire time to get out of this. I'm almost going even with her throwing punches over my head. At the very least, Luke, that's grounds for fighting off any form of a 10-8 that shouldn't have been there to begin with. I just think he got caught up in that. You mentioned his history. John Morgan had done the research. Uh, Mike Bell did five cards, uh, five, 10, eight rounds over the entire evening. Uh, one was that first round of uh, Lupe Godinho's win over Reed. Rewatched it, seemed perfectly fine. Totally and he fine. gave three 10, eight rounds in the Knudsen victory over Mann. And yeah, those scorecards were like 30 to 24, 30 to 25. So yeah, that, that makes a ton of sense there. So he's not a judge with a bad reputation who had a horrible night. He just scored the most important sequence and round of the fight completely incorrectly in a way that, you know, I mean, obviously, let's be honest here. He doesn't know what everybody else is scoring. He doesn't know the temperature around this. This is a real pressure on this job. But how many more times in the big moments are we just going to go, hey, man, that's because MMA uses the boxing 10-9 system. Or, hey, man, that's because the rules are, the rule set is so vaguely written and some people are you know using the word damage which isn't even in there i know big john wanted it to be but it's not other people are taking the loose definition of impact and yes you can impact somebody with with grappling control but no this was not a 10-8 round and it's it's we're past the point of hey luke what's this week's rant on how mma uh judging should be changed we're using a completely wrong system which is setting these people up to fail and it's not a shock that they're failing it's not like all these guys have great reputations from commissions with great reputations. This kind of feels like a shit show, but it plays into the idea of what Dana always says and what the company message is. Take it into your own hands. Finish your opponent. Don't take that chance. Well, that's not modern day MMA. We're going to go to the cards a lot in modern day MMA. And uh, Luke, it's like, unless the commissions are going to put their heads together and make a change, this is what you're going to get. Okay. This right here. And this wasn't a, could have gone either way. That 10-8 was an error of a score. But it affected the entire arc, potentially, of where these two fighters are going. And it's like, if you're fine with that, UFC and, and state commissions, then we'll just sit here and keep explaining it to the people. But that's where it's yeah. at. I mean, I just have to accept, basically, that the entire commission structure in North America 
other places too, but certainly in North America, U.S. and Canada, um, and I, I guess Mexico now too, and at least as far as MMA is concerned. But in any case, the commission structure has basically decided that they have a, a judging system that for the vast majority of any pro MMA bouts, which could include UFC and everything else underneath it as a pro contest, for the vast majority of those bouts, this, this judging system is pretty good. It actually is. Like for the vast majority of the bouts that exist and take place in a calendar year, it's fine. The problem is it's uniquely shitty for adjudicating close fights. It's just so bad at it. It's so not, it's so not designed to give you the actual nuance that you need to get these right. And so uh, we've given these guys tools in a retrofitted structure that don't really work all that well. And so you get shit like this. But, you know, what can you do? BC, let's, if we can, focus in on that Shevchenko performance. Because in real time, up until that fifth round rally, and, and again, you can still make a very clear case for Shevchenko, I did notice she had more offensive urgency. I kind of felt like you did anecdotally that, like, she did more to kind of hustle her way through this fight and that she sure. had maybe been a bit of a, uh, again, with that, if she hadn't done that head and arm throw, which was just so fucking ill-advised, but neither here nor there, that she kind of looked much improved. But you know what was funny about this? So I went back and I looked at the numbers, and I love that. Here's one thing I love about this rivalry. We didn't get a full five rounds the last time, but we got three plus nearly four. And then in this one, we did get five. So we've got a lot of different data to, 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 to you know, that mirrors itself across two different fights. Here is what shows up in the data for this one. Shevchenko um, pushed close to what I've seen her max numbers be in five-round decision contests, but came up short just a little bit everywhere. She landed a little bit less per round than she normally does. She actually attempted fewer than she normally does at her high watermark. She's normally attempting 50 strikes a round. She never reached that mark once in this fight. She got close. She got like 48 or 49 one time, but she never actually reached over the 50 threshold. Yeah, but there's um, a lot of her, control time. Round three was on the ground the entire round. I mean, for sure, for sure. She had, control, she had control time in the first fight, too, for two rounds. So, like, you know, I mean, there's there's something to be said for that, too. Uh, again, this one had a fifth round. The last one did not have a fifth round. So there's something to be uh, you know mentioned there as well. But even then, BC, like, in terms of the amount of strikes she had that were significant strikes over her total, that declined nearly 20% in this fight. If you look at what she was able to land to the head, that was pretty similar. But there was a drop-off in a lot of the other categories. In other words... And by the way, she got the same amount of takedowns, but she had to get it with one more attempt. So she was actually less efficient with the takedown. With the takedowns, although as you can tell, she was attacking. My point being is, I, I I think you can make an argument that she was trying so many different things that it kind of muddled her numbers a little bit relative to the first one. However, what I think you can also say is, if you look at the proportions of what she was doing, right in terms of her targeting, in terms of the output the basic contours stay the same. So my takeaway from this is, that was the best you were going to get from Shevchenko. That was the best you were going to get. She was trying at maximum ability uh, in terms of you know volume, output, mixing of things, really trying to make a steady attack when it was reasonable while taking away the more dynamic features of her game that got her in trouble. Like, for example, the spinning attacks. I honestly, if they make another one, and we'll get to this in a minute, I honestly don't know what more adjustments she has to go to, whereas I feel like Grosso actually has still some things that she could lean on that could make a difference. Like I, I guess I'm trying to point out what makes it, if you're a Shevchenko fan who scored the fight for her, to me what makes it extra kind of awful, aside from the fact that the, the judging was bad, 
was that was a great performance by her, and I actually don't think it can get better. I really don't. I know. Like, the story of this fight, the reality is, regardless of how it got scored, the story of this fight was that the great aging champion went back to the lab and came out even more efficient and, like I said, in even better shape. I mean, you could see it. And then, obviously, the way she was dialed in. But it was a lot of leaning on whatever strengths were there. I mean, for Grasso's good enough on the ground where she's not, you know, I know she had there was that sequence in the first fight in, in the second round or the third round, uh, wherever, where, where Shevchenko, you know, Looked like she was close to finishing. Had a lot of dominant ground and pound. You don't really get a lot of a lot of uh, top time ground and pound on Grasso, but just leaning on that control time and those strengths and that she had in that area and leaning on. I thought she did such a good job to take away the advantages that Grasso had in Southpaw in that first fight with that boxing stance where she darts in and out. And she did that with the timing of, of, of catching her with those left crosses and really making that that jab work. That all got taken away. That is the story. Now, you do have an interesting argument on if they go forward in the series, can she do better? That's going to always be a problem when you're more or less a finished product and you have a young riser who just keeps getting better. And Grasso does look like she keeps getting better, even if this performance in my vision was a little bit less effective than it was the first time around. But that's also because of exactly that, the, the adjustments that Shevchenko, the great champion, made. I mean, look, she told, even though she didn't win this fight, Probably should have or could have, right? Because I had it three to two, so could have. She should have won by only losing a 10-9 round, which means she could have but or should have in that case. But despite that, um, the younger fighter's gonna going to have more chances or more opportunities to make those adjustments and rise. But doesn't this speak to Shevchenko's greatness? And she basically telling that stat, you know, of the 35 and over to, to GFY? I mean, this was, you don't often see the aging, like the hit, you know what I mean? History tells you that more often than not, the aging champion loses the rematch again, sometimes even easier. And look, I thought she had a better performance and maybe the, the, the strike totals don't compare to what she's used to. I don't think she's fought an opponent in this division who has the combination of clean striking and great striking defense as uh, Grasso does. But look at how Shevchenko adjusted to that and still found a path to victory. She still might be the best fighter in this division, Luke. Right now, she still might be the best overall. Yeah, but and even I think if she... she is, the the sands and the hourglass are starting to move. I mean, let me tell, let me ask you about this because it's something I brought up on Saturday night. I would love to get your response. And this, to me, remains eternally surprising. What I said on Saturday night was there is not always a clean connection between someone being much stronger as a physical athlete and then also having more punching power. There often is a correlation, but they're not totally tied together. And why I bring that up is, BC, you know where I'm going with this. When they lock up physically, Valentina is simply much stronger. She just is. Like, there's just no denying it. On the other hand, dude, the punching power of Grasso really set her on fire in this fight. Now, she was so much better about rolling with it when she had to. She had some good defenses. I'm just saying when it did land, wow, dropping her, taking her off of her feet in the second round. Is it that we just didn't realize that Grasso is such a dynamic puncher or... Is Father Time starting to dwindle the the punch resilience of someone like Valentina Shevchenko? No, I, I think it's more in, in category A and more to the full physical and mental evolution. I mean, she has got from she has gone from you know pretty good to very good to like great in such a swift progression. Where it, it, I think it's a combination of all the factors finding the right division that doesn't diminish some of her potential greatness because of how taxing that weight cut was. 
And then the evolution of not just her body filling out, so maybe putting more weight down on the shots. But Luke, she has evolved. She used to be, a, you know, especially at, at Strowit, she was a good boxer, had some of the best pure skills, but that didn't always equate to danger. Now her ability to sit down on punches and throw perfect technical three-punch combos that the great Valentino with pull the sword of 30 years of experience and 17 kickboxing championships, just both times she got dropped, right? First fight and second, they were on beautiful combinations that she just didn't see coming. Luke, show me on your on one hand how many elite female MMA fighters at this point in the sports evolution have that striking ability. I'm not talking about a big right hand off the jab like Amanda Nunes has. And, and you know, she's got great technique. She also has next level power. So does Cyborg. Cyborg's a very technical fighter. She's evolved. But I mean, Grasso is like, she's like a boxer in there, Luke. So in that regard, I don't think it comes down to Shevchenko's punch resistance changing. She hasn't gotten beaten up a lot, a lot in her career or put in precarious situations, right? The, the fights she's lost have been to Nunes in the UFC on that level. And a lot of times it comes down to just a mistake or strategy change, or maybe she was physically outgunned just a bit at 135 or maybe the judges got it wrong in the shift in the newness rematch i don't know but no she that, i mean luke well i mean I she fought Nunes at 135 this is at 125 there might be something to be said for what the weight cut does at age 35 to her absolutely resistance. but but let me ask you this question did shevchenko show you anything in this rematch that suggests she's going in the either direction at all in terms of going you know getting old I didn't see anything, dude. I mean, I thought she came back and was better than ever. She's just fighting a great fighter. This is yeah. a lot about the fact that Alexa Grasso is a great freaking fighter and a and a worthy champion despite that 10-8 round. 100%. I do, I, the broad strokes of that, I fully agree with. And again, I'm not declaring what, you know, I, I, what state she's in. She looked to be in tremendous physical condition. Maybe Grasso is just a really you know, in, incredible puncher. Um, but I just, I feel, I, I go back to it bef uh, one more time and we'll go back, we'll, spin this forward in a minute. I want to make one last point on the fight, but I do just feel like when you look at this effort, it was so comprehensively well done from Shevchenko where she was a lot of times check hooking her way around that one, two, that was so valuable the first time from, uh, Grasso. She had, you know, she was threatening off of her back at times when she needed to, she did make that tragic mistake for herself in round five, but you know, in general, I thought had a very sharp, like, what do we need to get rid of? What do we need to focus on? Where does this fight need to be contested? And again, she got dropped in the second and got in her back taken in the fifth. But other than that, really put on a very, very I guess, a tough opponent, a, a great performance. I just go back to, like, I really don't know what else she could right, I got two questions for you. Point. Then we can close on these beautiful ladies in this in this part of the conversation. Who won? Who would have won this fight, Pride Rules? I think that decides it. I know you had a 3-2 Grasso without the 10-8 round, but who would have won this fight, Pride Rules? Who was the better fighter on this night, Luke? I probably would have... Well, that's tough. Shevchenko might have gotten it. I agree um, with you. I agree with she you. That's was the story of it. Long, she was better for longer stretches, which is, again, not how it's scored. It's scored based on different ways. But I can see why that that might favor her. But again, it would be close because there would be people who'd be like, "Oh, well, you know what? When it mattered, Grasso was better." I can I can see that case too. All right, there's one other thing. Uh, Ethan Chan was an MK donk who jumped in my DMs, and a couple other people had something similar to this. But I want to get your question. Maybe I overplayed the idea that it was a huge Shevchenko mistake on the spinning backstrike that led to her getting submitted in the first fight. But again, I think there were other factors in there. I thought Shevchenko was fading just a bit. But what these people are saying, Luke, Ethan in particular, is okay. However you want to frame that, that's still a mistake that was countered and led to her defeat. 
She also had a mistake on this trip takedown effect that led to her defeat. And he's claiming in the second Nunes fight that Shevchenko had a similar mistake on a trip takedown attempt in round five, which led to her being on her back, which may have played into the visual of the mm -hmm. judges down the stretch. Is there any truth to the idea that as absolutely brilliant and historic and amazing as uh, Bulla is, that maybe a couple times, you know, there's a fumble or two in the in the biggest key drive of the game, you know, in the playoffs here a couple times, you know? There's more than a few fumbles. She's done this on a number of occasions. Um, I don't think it's in any way unfair to bring up that, I mean, first of all, like the head and arm throw is such a fucking scourge of women's MMA. Now, the great news about it is you got fighters who, by the way, I mean, some of the men do it too, of course, but like, you know, for example, like one of the guys who does it is, uh, he didn't win his last contest, but uh, Sergei Spivak. When he does score with the head and arm throw and he lands in scarf hold, he's actually pretty good from it. Like there can be, Ronda Rousey stopped Alexis Davis from there, from scarf hold. Like you can do good things there, but what ends up happening is they don't have good enough wrestling typically, although she does, but she just has bad habits. And she just goes for this like, you know, throw, which is kind of like, you know, just, just amateur hour for somebody who's trying to wrestle back a UFC title. It's not a very effective throw. You have to have the sequence after the throw really well understood. You have to have that positioning locked up. There's just better ways to go about fighting this contest. And she has fumbled this a few times. Yeah, it's you can absolutely question not her. I guess her overall fight IQ was quite good, and her talent is obviously very, very high. But in some of these like presence of mind moments, she does make categorical errors. And there are there are people online, I don't really share the Schadenfreude, but People online being like, yeah, if you're going to go for head and arm throws in round five, you know, you deserve to lose. I don't think that's quite true, but I understand why they look at this and they're like, dude, stop fucking doing these techniques that are from 2009 and don't, you know, women's MMA should be in terms of the wrestling much more advanced. And again, the better fighters in general, much are, they're so much better in terms of wrestling than they once were. It's just this weird anachronistic kind of bug that's stuck around in the women's game a little bit. Yeah. Do we explain the Shevchenko loss in the first Nunes fight at 196 is kind of just running out of time or, or figuring it out too late? Figuring it out too late. Because also Nunes, uh, I think, really faded down the stretch in that yeah. one a little bit, if memory serves. So, um, And it was also it was three round versus five. But she definitely, she definitely, and she got whooped late as or early in that fight too. But she stormed later on in the contest. Anyway, there's a few different things, but... Um, she has made that mistake uh, many times. All right, before we go to number two, last thing I just wanted to say, dude, what a wonderful rivalry for this division. Yeah. Uh, this is not one I ever expected to get two, maybe three fights from. I think you share my appreciation for it. This, this is well-matched. Uh, it's fun to debate these results. I mean, I feel bad for both of them in the sense that there wasn't any clarity, but dude, what a great way to lift and magnify this division to the masses and we'll talk about UFC Noche or Noche UFC later, but do you share my enthusiasm for what this kind of fight and this Hell rivalry yeah. can do? I mean, this is the best division in female MMA, and that was one of the best title fights in terms of ability, countering, you know, stamina. I mean, it was just beautiful to watch and, and to see these two now kind of oddly linked together. Yeah, we didn't see this coming, and it kind of fuels the, the, the key question here entering into topic two, Luke. All right, so let's do it. Topic number two, this is very easy. I'm going to spin it right back to you, BC. Very simple question. We stay with the fight, but we do, in fact, move it forward. So my question to you is, BC, what makes the most sense now at women's flyweight? Should they run it back and do a trilogy fight between these two, back to back to back? Or should Grasso defend against a fresh contender? I want to have a, a knee-jerk hot take. This is the way, right? Let's do it, Mandalorian. 
But Luke, I really think the arguments on both sides are 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 very compelling. Okay, Wrong. this matchup rules. Valentina was winning the first fight, but cleanly lost it, right? And then I feel like she won the second one. Do you show respect to this great champion? And do you try to maximize the momentum built here on Noche UFC of this great fight? And not only go another time because it's sort of like it is unfinished business between them. I mean, this this does change it. I thought I actually was on that side for the Holloway Volkanovsky argument of let's do a third one there because I recognize that these are two great fighters and I felt that Max won the second one. You know, maybe over time that argument uh, it feels less and less passionate, but I was kind of okay with that. I think there's some level of that argument in here for Valentina. And then what's your worst case scenario if you went that way, even though there is a bottleneck atop of this division of potentially marketable and breakout fighters, w- would it be awful if you had to do Manon Farrell versus Aaron Blanchfield in a true number one contender fight? Not the end of the world, Luke, but you would be taking the two of them and putting them against each other and, you know, one go one way, one go the other. You can, I think you can argue just the same due to the popularity, particularly in Faroe, and then obviously the fact that Blanchfield does look title-ready right now, in saying, okay, let's not do it next, but let's do it soon, like, a, you know, two fights from now. Would it hurt? Would it kill? I don't know. I think you might just look at this in the, if you're the UFC and go, we love the rub that Grasso is getting from matching herself against this all-time great fighter, and it's a little bit unfinished, and it just busted through the roof of Noche UFC and this main event fight delivered. Luke, would, would it kill them to go to Mexico City with this trilogy? That's the thing. When you have an opportunity to do something big and crazy like that, I don't want to see Blanche Shield and Faroe have to fight each other necessarily. You know what I mean? There's a lot of contenders right around there that I want to see the future. The same argument we just had at middleweight. I don't want to see Izzy next right now and then another immediate rematch. There's different circumstances with that. But I do think in this case, I mean, Shevchenko, not a raw deal, not a robbery. Well, but yeah, kind of a raw deal, Luke. Shevchenko might deserve the respect to run this back another time. And just the fact that these two put on two really, really good fights that are like the best representation of of, of this division and, and this sport on the female side. Sometimes you do have to capitalize on timing. Luke, what would be a bigger fight? This in Mexico or anything else? I mean, that's the argument, right? Anything else. You like anything else but this in Mexico. I don't think folks understand the economics of what it would be in Mexico. First of all, like our producers bringing this up, but of course we all heard when Valentina was asked, I went back and I was like, how quickly did she go to, oh, it was because it was a Mexican Independence Day thing. How quickly did she go to that to blame that on the judge's decision? And it was almost immediate. It was very, very That's quick. a fair point. So it was so in the like, post-fight interview and yeah. then again in the press conference. She, yes, went on again, like a, she, she doubled down on it. And I was like, okay, all right. That's one way fair to look point. at it. Okay. All right, so that's one part, but it, it would just be basic economics. Like, again, if you're trying to, like, the, the predominant pay-per-view buying audience is the U.S. followed by Canada, right? If you're trying to sell pay-per-views to those people who are going to buy the pay-per-view, I'm assuming it would be on pay-per-view. If not, that does change economics a little bit. But if you're going to put it on pay-per-view, um, you know, you, you have to sell in an arena which can afford it. The ticket prices in Mexico are going to be significantly lower because the dollar is so strong, and then you wouldn't be able to really marshal the kind of media attention from indigenous media that would be US based media for that for the pay-per-view buying audience to Mexico to let them know about it. So it would have to be another fight night card which again you could do but then it goes back to the other side of things. Like it just it doesn't 
I would I would love to see it in Mexico. I'm not going to hold my breath. I think is the way I would put that. But also, I would just say this, and this is why I went, I made that point as explicitly as I did in the first topic, BC. I think you can really make a case that Shevchenko was the better fighter overall on Saturday night. Again, I saw I thought Grasso won, but I can see this bigger argument that you have made, and others as well, and that you know the draw is unfair. And then also maybe you can look at this and say, right, but that was her window. That was it. That was the window right there to get it. Because now you're only going to get older. There's not many more adjustments she can really go to. to like, I mean, to what, what, what meaningfully else? She could tighten up certain things, right? But now you're again, you're stripping away pieces of her offense as she does this. Having to get rid of the spinning backfist. Having to get rid of the spinning kick. Having to like really change some of your offense to minimize any potential counters. If you do even more of that, you're really dieting out your offense at that point. I don't know what else she could reasonably do except for a couple of small adjustments. Meanwhile, I do think Grasso has a chance to add even more to the repertoire. And this is my other point. BC, you don't just have number one, a number one contender right now at women's flyweight. You got two of them. You got yeah. two of them sitting there waiting. It'd be one thing if there was like, oh, Aaron Blanchfield is waiting for this. You could say, well, maybe hold on. Dude, they haven't even figured that out. I know what folks are going to say. We'll have them fight. But then you're just cannibalizing one contender for the other. No. I think if Shevchenko wanted to sit out and let Grasso defend, winner of that gets Shevchenko. I'd be totally okay with that. I think a fresh matchup is exactly what this division needs. I don't really care about that. They need to move this it's along. It's not an easy it's decision. To get insane. Would you admit it's not an easy decision? Now, the Mexico factor with Shevchenko's comments does change that. And what I also forgot about was what we talked about last week, Luke. We have no movement on this Bantamweight title. And if you do want to maximize your time left and try to make some, you know, a big historical move, then, yeah, Valentina going up to 35 and fighting you know, Juliana Pena or Holly for the vacant belt or whatever, Pennington, whatever way they want to do there, that would give her a chance right now after such a strong performance to potentially win a title in a second weight class. And then you're always going to have the window open. Could Grasso and Shevchenko meet a third time, you know, a little bit down the road before Shevchenko's done. That's why I said off the top, Luke, it's a really hard decision. Um, it is a really hard decision right now. So then let me ask you this. If the way you lean is correct, that we do, we do move the division forward. And to what's, what's to support that argument? The fact that the Mexican champion is still the champion. Yeah, that supports it very well, by the way. Um, who next then? Do you take do you Blanchfield. try to capitalize on the on the commercial promise in France of what Ferro is? Or do you go right to Blanchfield knowing that belt could change hands for all we know? You know what I'm saying? Especially with the with the wrestling troubles Grasso has had with Valentina. Blanchfield. Blanchfield. Uh her case for being number one contender to me is stronger. Then Fioros by I think it's very margin. close, Luke, because I was doing this in my pound for pound rankings of who should be higher. I have uh, I have Blanchfield and Ferro at four and five, and I'm like, who should be the one that's in front? And if I think if you look at who they beat in the timing, it's pretty damn close. Yeah, I mean they're both number one contenders, but to me, I think what Blanchfield has done has been a little bit more hard nosed and in your face, and therefore not merely more intriguing, but somewhat more respectable. Um. So I think they should go with her. And people might say, well, then you lose the fight between the third fight between Shevchenko and Grasso. No, you don't. You can just do it again. You can make it for five rounds. You don't like you don't. Yes, you would lose the impact of the potential title. But guys, there's a fucking division that has to be taken care of. We can't. I mean, I, I will admit this. 
there are certain times, like for example, after UFC 293, people being like, oh, immediate, re you know, immediate, that would be a, the rematch between Sean and Izzy. And I'm like, dude, there's not much of a case. Like the guy lost cleanly. Here you do have that case. You do have the ability to have a conversation like, D is this the kind of fight that qualifies for another do-over immediately again? It is that kind of fight. I recognize that. However, I just feel like we're doing a massive disservice to the rest of the division in order to indulge a rivalry that we don't need to see necessarily indulged on the terms that would be more ideal, but hardly necessary. Move the division along. It was a draw. She's 35 years old. She had two shots to retain her title. She couldn't do it. Move it along. Have Aaron Blanchfield fight, and let's see what happens. All right. Yeah. Again, you make a great compelling case. But then let me ask you this. If it's not 30, or let me ask you this. What what should be next for Valentina? What should be? Should it be 35? Should it be rematched with Tyler Santos? Should it be her and Manon Faro? How about, I mean, you know, there are a couple different ways. How about Joanna? I mean, not Joanna. How about Rose and Valentina, two former champions? That'd be a heck of a main event somewhere on a fight night. I mean, what do you do, Luke? If I'm her, I'm taking whatever path is closest to the title. So if that's 135 against Holly Holm, who, you know, they've got history, obviously, that went Shevchenko's way, I would take that. If it's, hey, sit out, you'll get the next one after there's a defense, I would take that. You know, she is a, you know, a decorated champion in this organization. I, and again, if she had lost cleanly, I would say to what I would have I said about Izzy last week, which was, you know, you do need to fight another one. Again, I can understand if they wanted to have him sit out and then wait, but fight another one would be great. I don't think she has to fight anybody else. I, I, I mean, to, to get back into the title queue. I don't, I don't think that. But I do believe that they got to start rotating this through a little bit because, you know, there's just, they're, they're going to make the logjam even more difficult. And then they're going to create suboptimal matchmaking behind these two by forcing people into competitions that don't do them any favors down the road. The time to move the division forward is right now. You can always revisit this fight for a third time. That's what I think. Bitches. I heard you say that. Yeah, I heard it. I heard it a few times. Yeah. What, here's the better question. What do you think the UFC is going to do? Um, unless they're folding that 35 division, this opens up a a a life raft for them. Um, if they did the best matchup you can do for I think the combination of commercial appeal, also with we're not really sure what it's going to look like or who's going to win. In my opinion, is Valentina and Juliana Pena. Because, you know, Pena hasn't fought since losing the title to Nunes in the rematch. And I think it's, yeah, comical that Yahoo Sports would have her number one pound for pound. But I do think in the two fights with Nunes, she showed that she's star ready, that she wants the smoke, all of that. So she actually would be the perfect foil to seeing Valentina, if this is, you know, an option, if this is what she wants and the UFC wants, to go do that above even a Holly Holm rematch or, or bringing Rocky Pennington in. I think that's suddenly a big fight. You got the historical nature of the two division champion possibility. Pena could be in the, you know, can be a star again, could talk trash, can do all that stuff. Um, I think that's the direction, Luke. And I, look, even with that division being uh, barren is, is, is all hell right now, uh, you can't discount what that means to a to a resume, right? You know, she walks away. To, you know, okay, you never beat Nunes, but two division champion have a big argument in in the Nunes rivalry. Um, that's not nothing, even with a shitty division, Luke. That's something big, right? That's big. You could still you could still fight Grasso a third time to echo Luke Thomas's point. You could, and also like I mean, here's the top five right now at women's one thirty five. Let's just go through it. Five is Holly Holm, who she already beat. Four is Ketlin Vieira. That would be a fresh matchup. 
Three is Myra Bueno Silva, although I think she has a modest suspension related to um, some kind of anti-doping violation. Two would be Raquel Pennington. And then one would be Juliana Pena. Guys, I got to tell you, I mean, you know, if you're a Shevchenko fan, which one of those is like the, the, the death matchup? I could see a couple of difficult ones, but I don't see anyone where I would clearly pick them over her. That's the entire yeah. top five. So like there's all she got she has options, dude. She did she did not in any way perform poorly except for the end of that fifth round, which I thought was just, you know, awful. But Okay, they're not gonna make her fight for row, right? That's not happening then. If I were her, I would just be like, What are you doing? I, I no, I would not take that fight. I would not for fucking what? What are you gonna get out of it? You're gonna beat someone you probably can't already beat to hold your spot? I mean, you know, I just don't even it, it, uh, again, Mikey be- No, no, Luke, Mikey believes she would smoke Manon. So you, that makes, and let's assume he's right. That would make it even worse. Yeah. Right? If she goes yeah. in and just blows the doors off of her, now you've ruined a contender's chances to have a fresh fight. And also, she just keeps her place by by a fight that didn't need to happen. It's like, why the fuck would you do that? that okay, that what if I told you that up? over the next year, this would become the third best division in the entire sport? What if I told you that? What would you say? Would you be telling me that with your pants around your ankles? I, I, that's so unfair. There's no documented history. There's no paper trail. Would, to would, prove that would you tell me that on a date with Lauren Boebert at a Beetlejuice showing in Colorado and she's touching you? I don't I don't understand this reference, Luke. It's insulting to me because of that. I mean, you know, yeah, there you go. You don't you don't you don't follow the news cycle at all, do you? Like you're no, I live in, I live in the, the news world. cycle of my own mind, Luke, which is always taking me back to nineteen seventies, okay? The, I made such a good joke about public groping that I thought you would really get behind and you just hung me high and dry. I did. Because you have the reading uh, stamina of a five-year-old. Really is the... Uh, I'm going to get to the end of Dune. Don't worry. I got a five-year plan here set up, okay? <laughs> I'm going to read all 800 pages. Believe me. We'll get your, there. Your, ple- your pledge to read Dune is like on par with like your home mortgage amortization schedule. So it's like you know two pages every month <laughs> for the next 30 years is really the way you're doing this. Um, all right. Let's go to topic number three if we can move the chains on this uh, show here. How about the co-main event, BC? Jack De La Maddalena defeats uh, uh, Kevin Holland. Kevin. Uh, Kevin Holland. And, you know, there's a sort of few different takes on... By the way, some people thought Holland won, but this is the way I'd like to ask the question for you, BC. Did Jack De La Maddalena prove with this win that he's ready for the top 10? I think he did. I think he did. Not you know, not in an overwhelming, exciting way, but I, I, I don't call this fight boring I think he was basically like setting up shop on the outside, having success winning this the technical battle, although let's give Holland credit. He made some adjustments. There were some times he landed some big shots. I think if anything, I'm like, hey, Kevin Holland, where were the takedown attempts to, to do something? I mean, obviously, he I guess he could have been confident enough that he had it. I you know, I gave one, rounds one and three to Jack. I admit that two of these three rounds are pretty damn close, but I, I do feel like Holland winning cleanly wasn't the fight that I saw. I would have liked to have seen what happened if Holland had shot, that the wrestling has been a big part of his reinvention at welterweight. But in the striking battle, which was competitive, Jack set the terms and Kevin went along with the dance and the better technical fighter won. And I thought he landed a couple big shots. He had the threat of kicks, as you see in that picture right there. Uh, but overall, did he regress at all coming off of a weird sort of close fight in the last minute replacement last time? No, I think he still showed you that skills wise. I mean, look, what are we seeing again from Strickland to the, you know, Grasso upset in the first Shevchenko fight to Jack in this fight? Striking defense is the new thing, Luke. Jack is 
is fighting under some legitimately responsible and effective striking defense that allowed him to get off his shots and, and for the most part, land the better strikes in Holland. No, there was no exclamation point on this, but Holland, we talked about it coming in. Holland was it was a real wild card for the top end of this division. And maybe this was close, yeah, but it should be close against somebody of Holland's ability. Outside of the lack of a ground attempt at all from Kevin Holland, Jack Jack took another step forward, and I was impressed by it. So I definitely feel like he looked top 10 ready with this one. And you mentioned striking defense. I had a whole rant on this on Saturday night. Dude, I got to tell you, for the better strikers in MMA, you're starting to see significantly better defense. And it's comprehensive. It's partly the way in which they are manipulating range. It's partly the way in which they implement their guard and then strategically how they use that guard and in what circumstances. Also, there's just starting to be better footwork and guys using lateral movement and then, you know, getting in on strikes, exiting, that kind of stuff. They're just all putting themselves in the right positions at the right time, then exiting defensively at the right time as well. Kyle Nelson also on this card had a strong performance related to that. Not quite as good as, um, not quite as sharp as JDM with the higher end talent he's facing, but nevertheless, like very commendable. And it's something that is noteworthy for folks who've never trained. Like offense is always the first thing that people go to and learn. And it's actually defense that kind of catches up later with some exceptions here or there, but um, it's good to see the defense is making its way more responsibly and more thoroughly into MMA striking. Now, the fight itself, I disagree with your recitation of it. First round I thought was good. Second round I thought was okay. Third round I thought was just sparring. It, they, it didn't look to me like either guy, I'm not saying they weren't stepping on the gas, but they were a little bit out of ideas and then just didn't change a whole lot in the end. Now, it was more on Kevin Holland to change, and I did think he took the third as a consequence, but it was a little bit too little too late, and the fight kind of stalled out a little bit by the end of that. Now, that's not their responsibility. They're not, you know, people think they're uh, entertainers. They're not explicitly in that way. This is Sandra Oreda from Attacking Third, a podcast part of the CBS Sports Golasso Network dedicated to all things women's soccer. With the NWSL expanding to 14 teams, the 2024 season promises to be bigger and better than ever, and Attacking Third will be along for the ride from start to finish. Before that, though, we'll be all over the CONCACAF W Gold Cup, where the U.S. women's national team is looking to clinch silverware on home soil. We'll also be keeping tabs on the winter transfer window, the Women's Super League, the UEFA Women's Champions League, and elsewhere. Coming to you multiple times a week with game previews, recaps, analysis, breaking news, exclusive interviews, and more. Attacking Third is your one-stop shop for the best coverage of the women's game. Download, follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and anywhere podcasts are found. Make sure you subscribe to Attacking Third. Greetings, Fantasy Warriors. I'm Heath Cummings, your guide to fantasy dominance on FFT Dynasty. Join me this offseason where mock drafts become epic showdowns and every pick shapes your legacy. If, if I was Adam, with the team that he's built, Will Levis makes so much more sense. And that's not all. We're peeling back the curtain on the future with our exclusive 2024 NFL Draft Prospect Profiles. Uncover hidden gems that'll elevate your roster to legendary status. Pukunukua. After Cooper Cup, we really have no idea who's going to get the targets. Keaton Mitchell of East Carolina. Explosive speed is ridiculous. This isn't just a podcast. It's a playbook for champions. Subscribe to FFT Dynasty now, and together, we'll conquer the fantasy football frontier. Your dynasty journey starts here. But, I, you know, they were getting booed by the audience, which I didn't agree with, but I understand relative to the promise of what that fight represented, it kind of stalled out and was boring by the end of the third. All right. But in terms of how Jack De La Maddalena looked, dude, he looked good. He had 
you know what the difference was between him and 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 Kevin Holland BC? He was just way more focused and disciplined with how he was fighting. He was not going to strike on Kevin Holland's terms if he could avoid it. He was maintaining stout defensive, uh, you know, guard structure and choices about when to go. He was clever with his setups. He would throw multi-punch combinations. He had an answer for, to at least some extent for that kind of Philly shell, that leaning Philly shell that Kevin Holland was using. Like that, that, that also did pretty well for Kevin in terms of, you know, blocking some shots. But even then, JDM was able to get through. And it looked to me like he was definitely ready for a step up in competition. However, it also just kind of, you know, the thing about Kevin Holland, it's like he's got all the ability in the world. And he has been very explicit that like he's not hunting the title, and so I, I don't. You can't begrudge a guy like that. Like Nate Diaz is the exact same way. Like they have figured out a lane where they feel like they can probably maximize wealth with the time that they have and an opportunity just by staying active and then kind of being that gunslinger hero. And that's better than trying to literally be the guy who can beat everybody else. And I, I understand that. Um, at the same time, though, I just didn't feel like I got the best out of Kevin Holland no. in this fight, which is partly credit to JDM, of course. But I don't know. It's like, how specific was the training around JDM in this fight? Because it looked like once he was able to get going with more volume in the third, he was able to do a little bit more. But again, it was too little, well, too late. Okay. I don't know. I agree that the fight got worse as it progressed. Uh, I didn't. I wasn't bored, per se, but I disagree on your scoring of the third round. All three judges and myself gave the third round to Jack Della Maddalena. All three judges gave the second round to Holland, which I did, and then two of the three gave round one to Jack. The third judge who scored it for Holland, really? two to one, I have to had go round one for Holland. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, look, the onus was on Holland to change his fortunes in the fight, and he never stepped on the gas to do that. Now, did he, again, did he feel like he was leading in, in the fight or felt like if he took more chances, Jack was going to be there to counter? It's hard to say, but I do agree overall. For all those questions we've kind of had about Holland's true focus and direction through this walk, this was not the fight where I wanted this performance, meaning he left a little bit too much in the gunsling, you know, and didn't bring it all, Luke, in the holster, um, because he was just coming off a victory that really kind of opened our eyes to, is this guy a title contender here? Is this guy moving in that direction? You want to see him leave no doubt. And I don't, even with the split decision finish, I think there, there, there wasn't doubt to me who was the better fighter in this case. And that turned out to be Jack. So credit to Jack for bouncing back from an up and down performance last time. But yeah, Luke, if you're not in it to win it all, I don't know what, I mean, I know you can be in it to, to entertain. You can be in it for money. Derek Lewis has laid out that plan a lot, but Come on, Kevin Holland, get after it, dude. You're really freaking good. I mean, Luke, he's long as shit. He was splitting the guard of Jack's very tight defense in key moments, particularly in that second round, which I thought he won. Um, I don't know. You know, he might have had success on the ground if he would have, if he would have not not spam the takedowns, but make it a credible threat in there. You know what? It's, here's the thing to me. Again, I I. I don't know about the takedowns. I feel like De La Maddalena's takedown defense is pretty good, so I don't know about that, but maybe from the clinch, that would be a little yeah, bit Yeah, but you got to find out. Don't you have to find out, Luke? Yeah, I also feel like if Kevin Holland's got these long-ass arms, he should be using them for, like, body lock stuff a little bit more regularly to, like, mix things up. But the thing that gets me all with the Kevin Holland stuff is, it's you're right. It's like, I again, I'm going to say it one more time. I don't mind the guys who are like, I just don't think it's worth my time to be like, I'm going to be able to beat everybody. But that isn't a get out of like jail free card. That isn't, you know, you don't have to, you know, maximally try every single time. That's not quite what they, what it means. It means you got to like target how you take fights and against who, and then 
you know, what, what kind of frequency and everything else. And I just felt like I don't begrudge him being like, I don't want to chase something that, you know, it just doesn't interest me. I want to keep this competition schedule fine. But then in a case like this, I still don't think I got everything Kevin Holland could have brought to the table. I think he's more talented than what he showed. Credit to yeah. JDM for taking a lot of that away, but I don't think he's the sole reason a lot of that was gone. I thought there were some other things that could have been. What did you think about the talking between them, Luke? A couple times it got a little spicy hated in it. there. Fucking hated it. Hated it. Apparently he was saying stuff to him like, hey, we should train together. It's like, dude, that's just the... I mean, you know, look, I'm just an asshole sitting in my fucking desk chair in my office. Like, what do I know? But... I just know that the ones who are like the most insanely com competitive don't do that. That's what I know. That's, you know what that's my guy Anthony Smith does? You're stealing from my children. Remember he told yeah. Johnny Walker that business? That was yeah, wild. Johnny Walker's right? like, what the fuck? You know? Yeah, he's like, did I wait, did I sleep with your wife in Scotland? I'm not sure. Wait, wait, who are you again? Yeah, that was the only, that was the, uh, yeah, okay. In any case, um, well, I guess we'll see what happens. I don't think, by the way, I don't think Kevin Holland's stock dropped, you know, some significant amount or anything like that. And I don't think JDM's like exploded, but I do think this was a meaningful step up, and I'm excited to see him against the top ten. I think it will be. Oh, by the way, a Vicente Luque fight. Count me in. Yeah, that'd be magic. I'd be into it. Let's do it. Okay. All right. Topic number uh, four, BC. Let's let's quickly touch on the Raul Rosas phenomenon. So we both thought he was going to get a win, and he did. Turned out to be by KO versus via sub, but he got it just the same inside of a minute. In the first round, now this was a fight he was widely expected to to excuse me to win BC, and he does the job. So I'm trying to figure out what's a fair way to give a guy a grade for winning a fight in the UFC that he was expected to win, but of course is still, as everyone is very quick to remind us, just 18 years old. Give me a fair and appropriate grade for his uh, performance. How about an A? Because I mean, when when you finish somebody so quickly, which can happen when you have a you know a Bo Nickel level hyped young prospect and Rosas has his own lane in terms of hype because of the age, you're not going to always learn a ton. Who knows? Right. Until this guy's in there against legitimately someone with a, with a pulse, even beyond the guy that he fought last time, which created all this doubt, but he went in there and showed us explicitly that he's adding to his game. I know he made all the comments of, you know, I fixed the holes. I, I figured it out. And yes, young fighters of any kind, 18 years old or not, tend to need the wake-up call that an early loss gives you. I know his situation is different with the age and level of hype, but he responded to that perfectly. He went in there and didn't just take the guy down and submit him in a second and be like, well, this is what I do better than anybody else. He showed offensive intention to come in there with a high pace and land big shots. That was an absolutely beautiful looping bomb that scored the knockdown that led to the finish. It was really good ground and pound, really good intention, confidence, ferociousness. It helps, of course. It's Mexican Independence Day weekend. It's Noche, and, and you know, it comes out in the sombrero. Dude, what else would you have wanted from him here? Uh, this was an absolute perfect comeback to restore the confidence. Again, doesn't answer all the questions, but it never does unless, unless you keep beating one bigger name after another in all different kind of fights. He has too much, he has a long time to get there. For what we're trying now with the 18-year-old version of him, I feel like this this sealed the hole. Remember on on Full House when uh Michelle and DJ accidentally and Stephanie they were playing around with the dad's like closet thing and they put the thing through the hole and they had to, you know, cover it up quick with a really poorly done plaster job, Luke. This is better than that. I never saw that. I never saw that. All right. They, they, you remember that. they had that song, Dad, Dad, Dad. You don't remember that? They had... I don't. I mean, okay. You're really, <laughs> okay. you're really <laughs> washed right now. Yeah, yeah. But uh, in all seriousness, I, I think I'd give him probably, I'd give him maybe an A-. minus. 
And I think A's a little strong. Yeah, because you're a hater. Admit it. You're a Rosa. I mean, I might be a Rosas hater because I've been saying his name wrong all day. But yeah, you're you a Ro- Rojas. I mean, at least I know his name. You're a Rosas hater from the day no, one of, no, I ain't going to no, no, let no. this I'm teenager Rosas, be good. I'm a Rosas hype skeptic. Big difference. I don't have anything personal against him. I don't know the kid. How the fuck can I have anything the against him? The only person you hate worse than Ro- Rojas, Luke, is every white person. All right? <laughs> which would include me. Which yeah. would include me. But in all seriousness, again, I think it's an A- minus because let's talk about the good part, which is what you identified. You know, he had less than one significant strike per minute. Granted, he didn't have a lot of minutes. But, dude, do you know how many fi- um, um, strikes he landed? Not in this fight, but the one previous over the course of three rounds. Do you know how many? Mm-mm. How many did he actually land? Two? Two punches in, in 15 minutes. He landed fucking two. So, so then he does this performance and you can't give him an A? Dude, he was tremendous. A minus. A minus. No, dude, you got to learn to read between the lines here a little bit. Or teach why. me here, Professor Salt and Pepper. Uh, well, you know, okay, I will. I will. I ask you questions about boxing all the time. I don't pretend to know everything. I don't know everything about MMA, but I do know what I'm about to say, which is, so look, him opening up and going for the like the striking on the ground is obviously just a much better choice, and it's good to see that that I consider meaningful progress that's one two he dropped the guy on the feet which was uh he had to kind of punch across his body to do it because his positioning was a little bit off but again we're, we're you know we're talking about ufc striking so I, I on that level i think i give him two thumbs up as well so those are great things that i think you should take from it i just think that you need to stop there right like people like here's the problem people can't just say uh he's a good prospect who made a couple of meaningful changes that will set him up for the future that is to me, the appropriate takeaway, that's not what they do. What they do is they go, oh, here we go. He's back. He's, he's the future of MMA, blah, blah, blah. Guys, let me ask you a question. Do you think he's the only 18-year-old in America right now who could have beaten Terrence Mitchell on Saturday and done it in, inside of a minute? Because I don't think that. I don't think that at all. I think there's, there's probably several that could have done it. Here is the problem that I have. He had made better decisions with his offensive weapons. All good. All good, but he's raging in fights still. He is he was swinging wildly as shit, and he overwhelmed a guy who just you know didn't have much ability to be there, which was fine. That was his job. But my my point is, you can't look at that and then declare this is an elite prospect who is destined for great things. What you can say is he's a obviously green fighter who is starting to round the corner a little bit on some of his more known deficiencies. But he is very green. How do people not see this? He is so clearly Look, green. I don't think people everywhere. are fighting this battle that you're creating. I think oh the God, loss dude. last time are you shitting me? took he's, he's... all of that, like, a lot of that air out of the why balloon. Why is he now, popular? Why is he popular? Now, he Tell put he put a lot of the air back in the balloon with the performance, yes. but I don't think people are saying this guy should be fighting a top 10 guy or fight for the title next. I mean, the kid's 18. No, no nor am I great suggesting people back have win. said that. Where, where did I say people said that? I didn't say that. Then I who definitely are you fighting saw, against right now? The people I that definitely think he's... saw multiple people saying, oh my God, he's the future of the sport on Saturday night. I absolutely saw that n- numerous times. That's, that's insane to say. And it's not me, for me to declare that that's not true. But my point is, like, how on earth could you declare that based on everything we have? Well, to this I don't point? think the they're la- saying la- that last he's point, gonna... last, No, last point I, was... I'm trying to define what they're saying. I don't think they're saying he's going to win a championship in a year. I think they're saying at 18, he, he looks to. this good. He is the future of the sport. Dude, if he doesn't fail, he will Dude. be the future of the sport. Look Dude, at what he's doing. nothing about what he is doing tells you he's going to win in the future. 
He and is, I'm sure I'm all to, Uber to, drivers are decent you. people, but you got to give it a chance here, you know? Dude, uh, okay, you have to give it a chance. I understand. What I'm trying to get everyone to, to wrap their head around is he's green, like like yeah. really green, not like a little green, majorly green. Like where he has to be in a year, we're not even like bordering on the idea of anyone in the top 15. That's only fair to his development. I'm, try, I'm just trying to get like people... They want to heap praise on him and say, look how good he is at 18. You could find someone else in the United States at 18 to win that fight as quickly as he did on, in the United States. You could do that. That's not some like, this is not Bo Nickel, a three or four time division one champion pulled into MMA and they just literally can't find a guy to stand in front of him long enough. They You're literally making me want to buy not what this a is. Rojas t-shirt, Luke. You're making me want to buy one now. Wear it on the show every yeah, day. Yeah, because okay? everyone wants to just buy into the hype and not the actual tape. And what it says, and then when I come along, I'm like, well, the tape doesn't say that. Oh, you're a fucking hater. No, no, no. He's he's the next well, you are, thing. You, you are being that. a hater right now. I mean, he already had the humbling moment of it's not going to be perfect. You're not going to win a championship by the time you yes, you know you get armpit hair. What are we doing grading people like this? It's the UFC. When John Jones came around, we only noticed his age after he started beating the shit out of people. That's what I'm talking about. You beat the shit out of the good people first, and then we'll note your age. It doesn't work the other way around. And as long as people keep inverting that relationship, they're going to keep getting the analysis of this totally now, fucking wrong. Are these wrong. people, okay, real question. Are these people educated or are these the same people that you tell me their opinion doesn't matter generally? I don't know how pervasive the views are about him um, relative to his actual upside. I, I am obviously speaking somewhat anecdotally, but I just want folks to be like, be happy yeah. for what it was. He has... His back-taking ability is great. Like, it's legitimately very good, right? He is very, very good at that. Um, he's strong. He's physical, right? That's These are all good signs. But the way you'll know he's really turned a corner is not by raging through a guy who he's overmatched against. It's by methodically beating someone who can yes. offer intelligent resistance. Right. And we're not even close to that yet. That fight. That's this what I'm talking about. Luke... I don't think they're trying to match him to get him a championship in a year. I think they're just like, this kid's really good. He can connect with this market. Hold on. Hold on. I'm trying to get to a point here before you cut me off. Then you can have it. My point is him in motion at every level will be a reality show. Cause it's like, Oh, that's that really young kid. Let's see what he does. I saw him lo lose one time. I don't believe him. Oh, he's getting better. He's getting better. That's what this is going to be. It's going to be incremental updates. No one's talking about him. Bo Nichols different. He's BC, 27. He's please, married. It's please, different. Please stop pretending. Please stop pretending that this is not a partly a conversation. Around, oh God, my fucking Siri showed up on my screen. God damn it. Um, hold on one second. Please tell me that this is you, you, you understand that what's partly happening here is like, it's the same, it's not quite the same thing. This is not quite true. In in any kind of style of promotion, the promoter, when they have a prospect that is interesting, sometimes they will end up turning into somebody really special. That does happen time to time. It's pretty rare, but it can happen. Pick your favorite example of such. But what they want to do in the interim before it's clear is lean on the suggestive side that it will happen. I'm merely yeah, trying that's to promotion. take... That's promotion. You have to get people to So to why in. am I obligated to indulge that? Because nobody's fighting the argument that you're fighting against, unless it's you're some, so wrong, dude. They're unless obviously it's some nerds that have that are trying to like rile you up, Luke. But nobody's trying to say like he's not saying in the post fight interview, "I got this many days left before I beat John Jones's record to become the youngest champion." He wants to be the youngest champion. 
He still okay, said that was his goal. But he's also 18. Like, it's going to be, each fight is going to be a, its own chapter in this reality show. You think not, he can be, you know, let me ask you seriously. You, you think he's good enough now that in, within two years, it is at least conceivable that he could challenge for a title? I mean, if he if he turns out that he's great and he starts climbing it really fast, but I think we learned from the last fight that it's going to take some time, and I think the UFC got enough of a a scare there that they're going to realize let's just keep raising the bar a little bit, fight by fight, and they can he could still be a constant growing well, brand for them. You know, I mean, they lowered the bar from the last one pretty substantially. Yeah, they see. had to. They had to make yes, sure this wasn't did. a train wreck, and he yeah, passed did. that test with an A, Luke. So don't be an a-hole. A-minus, a-minus, a-minus. You're making me want to pronounce his name right every time. I'm telling you that, Luke. Well, listen, if that's what it takes to get you to do it, then I'm here to help. But I just want, you know, you're just sitting here trying to be like, oh, we should feel good about the promotion of how he, this guy is being marketed and then sort of like talked about in the wider community. And then I'm like, well, that's not really based in reality. And like, oh, you're a hater. Guys, I'm not a hater for not indulging promotional fictions. That's not, I mean, you're a hater when you have something personally against the kid. He's good for 18. Let's see what happens. I wish you had how the was, same passion in our Building 7 debates, Luke. I really wish you how did. Was, how was that like a crime? I don't even understand that's a crime. All right. Neither here nor there. He's, he looked, he's going he's gonna to get another good fight, and he should win the next one. We'll see what happens. All right. Last but not least, BC, it does bring us overall to the event at large, the Noche UFC event. And BC, I don't know if you were able to watch the entire broadcast but, dude, they were doing all kinds of fun stuff where they were playing different music of, like, you know, Mexican origin for the tale of the tape graphic. And then they had the weight classes all in Spanish. And then they had all these different graphic packages. And, of course, the Mexican-American fans, or even the Mexican fans more generally, showed up big time at the T-Mobile. This felt really big. It was aided, as we discussed, by a fantastic main event. But I just want to get your thoughts. Did you feel like Noche UFC was a success as a branded and marketed event? Yeah, I felt it was huge. I felt it hit perfect. I love that there was this badass title fight, not on free TV, but, you know, as close as you can. I mean, is it? Did it air on regular ESPN or just the Plus? I think it did. I watched it on the Plus, but I do believe it did air on ESPN. So, I mean, it got such prime placement. Look, here's the deal. I love all fight fans of all race, creed, or whatever, but I really love Mexican fight fans. They make the boxing amazing and fun, and... They showed out to this. This worked. This was huge. The Mexican champion won, even though it was a draw. Great moment, by the way, between her and DC. You know, I won the... Well, you didn't actually win, but no, they won the whole thing, I felt. Yeah, look, is it a little, like, a, a little hard, cheesy lean-in? To some degree, and it's certainly strategic. Don't ever overlook that. It's a financially strategic move, but I felt they did it very well. And if and look, I've always loved the idea of majors, of of feeling like certain pay-per-views are different from the others, that it just means more. Madison Square Garden means more, right? The December one means more. They were already talking on the broadcast almost like it was matter of fact, like, man, we should do this every year. Yeah, you should. I don't care what it's on, pay-per-view, free TV or not. Um, it's a great way to continue to grow that fan base. And look at how look at the dividends of how quickly, how quickly we're getting. Mexican complete fighters that are coming out of there in this first generation of 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 ones that have grown up and said, okay, we can go either way here, boxing or MMA. And um, I really had nothing negative about it, Luke, even though it was very aggressive and, and, and purposeful in that regard. That crowd was amazing. If we're going to mm-hmm. play up how incredible the London and Paris crowds feel on the TV, this was right up there. This was a pay-per-view feel, and it was the right fight, the right matchup, the right face of Grasso, who is a, a warrior, who's constantly getting better, who has star power. 
She's fought her ass off in an incredible fight that you could do an immediate rematch if that's the decision that the company wants. Everything won on this night. And that's why I, I, I lobbed in the, the Rosas comeback win because, I mean, his, his embracing the crowd and to see their, you know, I mean, look, that's what it's more about, the Rosas thing, than anything else. Every fight for this guy is going to get bigger and bigger and bigger because, man, I mean, if you want, what else could you want if you're the UFC? To have a, co- a core of elite Mexican stars, which you have in, a, in, in the ex-champion Moreno, and we just saw Aldana fight irregardless of that big egg, Luke. And now you've got Grasso, who's a decorated, battle-tested champion. And then you got this 18-year-old prospect, Mexican-American. Like, this could be, this this is, this is, everything hit. Everything freaking hit on Saturday, and it was fun to see. I, I would say not, not everything hit, but, like, I, 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 the broad strokes of that I very much agree with. I mean, dude, don't you feel like two things sort of really occurred to me. MMA fans got a taste of what it's like for, like, the Mexican-American fans to be here and like, what it's like to watch boxing. Didn't you feel that way? It was like, yes, dude, yes. this is what you get when you watch boxing. You get this kind of shit. It's like the Mexican, the Mexican and Mexican American fan base. I just, for folks, they're as rock ribbed fight fans as you're ever gonna see. Oh, dude, it's I, w- so I was in great. San Antonio for Showbox on oh, yeah. the highway. There, every regional show that's coming up has its own like billboard, not video screen billboard, but like full billboard. This guy versus this guy, Saturday hmm. night, San Antonio. I mean, like the the appetite in general is just amazing. Right, it's so it's so great. So we got a chance to see that, but also I just feel like BC UFC fans in particular, they're looking for something to feel a little bit different. They're looking for something yeah. to be remixed for the UFC to try something new. And again, they're kind of just borrowing what boxing does. They had a mariachi band playing outside the T-Mobile. Uh, we're going to be seeing the Canelo fight probably in a couple of weeks, and you're going to see something like that there for that event. I mean, it's a very it's a staple of what you know, a big Canelo fight or a Mexican-American or Mexican fight is in Las Vegas. So, you know, they didn't reinvent the wheel, but they're bringing some of these, like, really important workable elements from boxing and then just applying it to MMA at a time where now it makes so much more sense. Because, again, it it is the full package. It was Alexa Grasso. It was all the other Mexicans on the prelim card. It was. I certainly agree. Raul Rosas Jr. It was all of these different things coming together, adding a little festivity, adding a little pomp and circumstance to it, promoting... And I think it turned out great. I, I would say that, you know, not everything they tried was a home run. I don't know if you heard, like they had uh, Brendan Moreno in English joining the Dominic Cruz, DC, and John N. A commentary table. I don't know how much that worked. Poor Brendan yeah, Moreno. Yeah, that didn't like, work. That didn't work, did a, but, I, but I don't hate the effort. I don't absolutely, hate that. No, no, 100%. I'm glad that they tried it. It was a great attempt. And again, he does commentary in Spanish. It must be very difficult to do commentary in a second language. So I certainly applaud his effort, but I don't know how well it worked for English speaking audiences, but short of a couple of things like that, two thumbs up for me. I thought this was a home run event. It's just crazy BC that a 10, eight round five yeah. from Mike bell almost ended that whole Mexican revolution where they all had the belts. <laughs> it almost well, undid all of it. Okay. What do you say though, in response to Valentina's comments that we referenced earlier and the double down and the whole idea that, I would have won this fight if it was, you know, she's basically looping Mike Bell's 10-8 scorecard into he got, he fell into the romance of 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 uh, UFC Noche. Is that is that bitter competitor? Is there any value there? What, 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 what do we do with that? It seems pretty salty to me. I mean, listen, on the one hand, could it be true that um, the spirit and festivities of the moment had some kind of subconscious effect on the judging to make it go in the direction that it did. That is certainly plausible. 
But A, there's no way to prove that or to really understand that. We don't have any way of knowing. And more to the point, it, a, a Grasso scorecard is totally fair. So I understand why she doesn't like the 10-8. You don't like the 10-8. I don't like the 10-8. I get that part. But then attributing it to like Mexican fan enthusiasm, that just reeks of saltiness to me. It doesn't, it doesn't strike me as a very compelling argument. Yeah, yeah, honest. I get it. I get it. There was some, you know, Bell had shown himself earlier in the night with enough 10-8s that weren't wrong. So I get it. Um, closing with this. I, I, I shared my fears and fears in previous episodes about the TKO WWE. Let's not WWEify this UFC too much, yeah. but I, I wouldn't hate if Raul Rosas Jr. took on the the legend killer gimmick that was probably best done in the WWE by Randy Orton, where it's just like you got this young guy who could be something special. So what they do one after another is call out the old former champions and just mercilessly beat them. <laughs> if they started a legends tour where like Hen and Brow could get back in the bullpen for another fight and then they got to fight, Fa- you know, you got to fight Faber, you got to fight Dom Cruz, you got to fight TJ, Cody. Yeah. I mean, would you be down for that, Luke? Come on. Yeah, that's Actually, you know what? I tell you what, if you can go there and do that, uh, and he can win. Shit, yeah, I'd be down. But you know, okay. let's let's okay. let's let's get him to the winning part, and then we'll have those conversations. Sure, you know what I'm saying? sure. All right, there you go. That's our top five here. Uh, before we get to the DMs, let's quickly tell everyone about you know our next partner, AG One, the daily foundational nutrition supplement that supports whole body health. Right, BC. Yeah, I mean, I just poured a glass and drank it during the show. You were watching me, and I do this every morning. One scoop of that green magic powder. It's kind of got a lot of what I'm missing in my own breakdown of my own diet, my daily walk. It's got the vitamin, uh, vitamins. It's got all that stuff, Luke, that cleans me up, makes me feel good. And you know what the thing I love about it most? That tropical, you know, just perfect, subtle, clean taste. Yeah, no doubt about it. Listen, I drink it every day. AG1, I love it. Sometimes in the morning, sometimes at night. If I want to make sure that before I go to bed, I've got all of the nutrients that I need. And like you, the, the, the mild tropical taste. It makes it super easy to do. Super yeah, easy. put it in my shakes. Uh, you know, little, little, little. I mean, look, they say how you start your day is how you're going to end it, right? You eat cake for breakfast, it's going to be a long day for you. I start my day with AG1. And Luke, look at me now. Okay, maybe I, you know what I had, Luke, at dinner the other night out? Out in San Antonio, I had Wagyu lasagna. I mean, that's a, that'll change your life, dude. That'll, that'll add some of this. That'll change your life in a lot of ways. But you know what I did the next morning? I drank me some AG1. There First you thing. go. Okay, seventy five first. Seventy five high quality uh, ingredients, uh, daily nutrients, of course, that support energy, focus, and clarity. It's a micro habit, BC, that delivers macro benefits and uh, helps everyone take care of their health every day. Okay, BC, if a comprehensive solution is what you need from your supplement routine, then try AG One and get a free one year supply of vitamin D and five free AG One travel packs with your first purchase. Yep, the vitamin D is in, in drop form. I add that to my AG1 every day, just a little bit extra. And those travel packs come in clutch on the road when it's hard to eat clean, it's hard to feel clean, jet lagged. Hey, AG1's a nice help, a nice little boost in that regard. So why don't you go to athleticcreens.com slash morning combat and get that extra for your first order. Let's do it. Join the team here of AG1, Amanda Guerra, AG2, and the two of us, Luke. And then, of course, one more time, there's another website you can go to, drinkag1, that's A-G, then the number one, drinkag1.com slash morningcombat, drinkag1.com slash morningcombat. All right. With that in mind, BC, it's time for the viewers to ask uh, us questions. It's time for DMs from Dolph. Let's hit it. Yeehaw. 
All right, here we have it. Uh, from uh, Oso Aldaco. I'm not sure how this was supposed to be pronounced or written. Who's who is the? They put who? Okay, yeah. Who is the female fighter of the year? Grasso, Blanchfield, uh, Izawa Saika. I'm not sure who Izawa Saika is, but yeah. okay. I don't, I don't know. I don't have this information. Are we being set up or is this legit, Luke? I don't probably, know. I probably just said some kind of racial slur in another language that I don't know. So. All right. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll have uh, your back on that. Luke, they're asking right now who's on pace to be the fighter of the year. Well, if, if Grasso had won cleanly, it would be her, but because it's a draw, I don't know. I really don't know. I mean, just that upset alone. And then to come back in the rematch and not lose, maybe. I mean, I mean, for for all we can joke about her saying I won and DC correcting her, she did win. Luke, you're the champion. You draw. You hold the title. Now we're yeah, talking in, about in what. Way. Yeah, yeah. What should be next? I mean, that's the champion's advantage right there. Do you like the idea of ever giving Fighter of the Year to a non-champion? I always feel like they've got to do something huge to be in that in that conversation. Has this been enough from Blanchfield to? To be in this convo in your again, in your they mind. want us to give it fight of the year. It's fucking September. Like there's time yeah. left, so let's see yeah. what happens. But I'll say this: even if she has to fight Manon Fioro and she wins, I think she would be a top candidate. I really yeah. do. She's coming All on, right. dude. She's coming on. All right, from the double. Oh, they G- have an explanation on Izawa here, Luke. Oh, it was the Ryzen Atomweight champion? I know, but I haven't paid attention to Ryzen. I apologize. So that's on me. Um, Why don't you just karate chop your hand in the air, Luke, and get us in trouble? I mean, you that, know, that, that's that's your favorite maneuver, guy. That's your favorite maneuver. All right, the doubled of, official or avivial. They spell it weird. Uh, okay, what are the best fights booked between now and the end of the year outside of the main events? Dude, it's got to be Hamza versus Paulo Costa, right? UFC two ninety four. That's a great one. Um, whoever Patty fights, especially if it's our boy Frivola, who you can check out the Room Service Diaries episode that we did last week with him that went live. Um, that would be a big one. I mean, there's a lot Dude, of this fanfare. weekend. This weekend, Gamrot and uh, Rafael Fazeev. That's a sick Not fight. A fight. Yeah, that's that's a that's a good one. That's a good ass one. Yeah, it's a great question. I'm trying to think of who because the problem here's the problem. BC, we got a couple of big ones, but like I don't give a fuck. Like. We're going to cover and have fun with Tyson Fury and Francis, but like, you know, it's just a, it's a, it's a fight to get money. Okay. It's not anything I, more than yeah, that. Yeah. I really care about Blades Almeida and at heavyweight, Luke. I good really call. care about that. Fight. Great yeah. call. Great call. I love that fight. Yeah. So there's a few good ones, although that might be a main event. So this is non-main event edition. Um, but okay. But I'm saying like, even those big fights, they're just kind of, kind of weird. Yeah. So I guess we'll yeah. see. All right. From Campbell Parrish. In honor of what country? Oh, country fair season. What yeah. is your favorite fair food? Oh, this motherfucker's just writing gibberish on here. Yeah, he is. Time. He is. Uh, okay, so look, there's a great question, and we've all, you know, we've all gorged ourselves at the uh, fall fairs, just going from Co- truck corn to dogs truck. are for animals. I'm sorry, you've they said are, corn but dogs. I, you know, you know, in my old days, Luke, I'd, I'd get down with that. I think the best thing at, especially in New England fairs, is the Thanksgiving. Um, burrito i guess or no thanksgiving like so it's it's a wrap luke that has all the thanksgiving fixings in it including cranberry sauce so it's basically a hot turkey but it's got gravy mashed potatoes it's got everything in it dude that thing is 
from so that, you know that I mean because there's no better meal in life than the Thanksgiving meal, and you can get that in a in a one stop shop in my hand type of like just beauty. Yeah, you that's just my know favorite. whatever county fair is selling Thanksgiving in a wrap is selling you the Boston Market version of that absolute yes. fucking feces yes. loaded to the gills Probably. in that wrap. No chance, dude. How was the answer not funnel cake? Funnel cake uh, well, with yeah, powdered yeah. sugar on top. How was that well, not the answer? Dude, no, don't get powdered sugar. You got, If you have a chance to do the, the funnel cake with the marinara on top, you got to go there. And the cheese, you can't. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Sugar. What? Fried dough? I've never it's even called, heard of that. It's called fried dough. Are you kidding me? But so it's, you, wait, well, how, it's how, the funnel cake, but instead okay. of sugar, you put tomato sauce on, you cover that shit in Parmesan cheese, and you have yourselves sex in your hands. I mean, are you kidding me? Right now? You're just an ape. That's not a classic. That's some remixed Guy Fieri no, that, to get to get no, fast. No, no, impossible. that's how we get down in Connecticut, Luke, on the regular. Okay. By right? the way, I meant to t- I meant to tell you this is true. Like some place opened up in D.C. Next time you come, which will be never, but next time you do, oh yeah, it's a place here, and it's like I forget the name, but it's got like Connecticut pizza in the title. It's already everyone I know who's been has been like, dude, it's the best pizza in the city. Yeah. I have to go. I you missed a go. lot on Connecticut because I get you haven't seen great views of it. I mean, you're at the, you're at like a motel. I've seen and, most of Connecticut, and, and it uh, it looks like I my. I mean, you've seen it's the really emergency the room in in Norwich. Yeah, you've seen some awful spots, but you you were wrong. We got great food, including pizza. We got great schools, Luke. We got extremely high taxes, and um and you have the rudest service workers ever. So no, I will not be checking that place out, Luke. Um, Once again, BC tried the BC comedy hour on the servers here. And because they rebuffed his comedy, they're now bad servers. That's a very interesting way of looking at it. Well, the price is also insane for any. The price is insane. Yes. They got, you are right about that. All right. From house 12, Damien. Don't know who the fuck that is. What was the most carny moment in MMA history? Ooh, Jesus. So I saw this tweet. That from this fellow, I don't know. Is that Damien the Donk? I don't know. Is he still? Is he incarcerated? I don't. Yeah, know Yeah, he's tweeting from this. prison. I can't tell. But I saw somebody respond with the answer. Dada, five thousand versus oh Kimbo. A heart attack match. Cage the, side for that. Cage side. That's. I mean, okay. The other moment in the, the most of the moments, in my opinion, would come in the first couple of years, like Joe San getting punched in the balls by uh, by what's his name until until it was Keith like TK. Keith, Keith Hackney. Hackney was TKO via ball punch. Like that's literally the fight that sparked my fandom because I was at a family get together in like the middle of nowhere in Pennsylvania. And my grandfather would not stop talking about this and, and laughing until he was crying that I was just like, oh, this new UFC thing that everybody's talking about. Now I got to watch it after that. That's as carny as it gets, Luke. But the dot of the dot of heart attack was, yeah, I mean, that's, that's peak. Uh, yeah. So got? I was you there got... for that. If you guys want to go check it out, I think it's probably still on the MMA Fighting YouTube page. I did a post-fight show with Sean El Shadi. We were there for that. And our post-fight show was we were me and him looking at each other being like, what the fuck are we supposed to say about that And what that was the main event? Yeah. Was that Hoist versus Shamrock 3? I believe that's right. Yeah, I believe oh, that's boy. right. Um, Dude, in hindsight, Shamrock, like, that fight was real weird, right? What did Hoist hit him with a knee to the stomach and he knocked him out? That was weird. I don't even remember that detail, but I still, I always tell folks this. Kimbo is still the most popular fighter in Bellator history. No doubt. And not by a little bit, but like a lot. But like, it's like the number two is not even in the same stratosphere as him. Um, yeah. Rest yeah, I did Kimbo. a big feature for ESPN that week about the slop of that fight card. And uh, you retweeted it, Luke. You wrote essential reading. Oh, there you go. I've always known you were 
full of shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Last, by the way, uh, for folks who didn't see it, the um, Moosin was a show that had all kinds of weird fuckers on it. And then the, the, the one with the lip on it, like the weird lip on the cage. What the fuck was the name of that? The Yama Pit. Yama Pit fighting was also. Oh, yeah, that was weird. Do we put Justine Kish's moment in this at all? Look, was that Carney? No, that's that... like gross, but not Carney. Okay. But the guy, the Just Bleed guy, that's pretty Carney. Yeah, that's, 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 as, carny, carny that's as Carney as it gets. Do you know that Todd Grisham was at, in the crowd for one of the early UFCs that was in like Alabama? I wonder if it was the Just Bleed guy crowd. I got to talk to him about this. He was like, he went when he was like 16 or something. Imagine going. I had a friend, Luke, who saw Andrew Dice Clay in his prime run when he was like, like 10 years old, his parents let him go. Imagine that coming of age in that moment. Maybe Todd yeah. came of age next to the Just Bleed guy or that guy behind him that was smoking that joint. Did you see it? So the guy whose parents let him see peak Andrew Dice Clay at 10 years old, what does he do in prison now? Oh, wow. Wow. I think he's a landscaper. I love that guy. That's my guy, by the way, Bobby Bruce. Yeah. But uh, no, there you go. Look, is that it? We got to get to this. No, we got one more. We actually got All one right. more. And this one's pretty interesting. And we verified this. What I'm about to read to you is true. From Platinum Mike Perry, what are your thoughts on Media Mike Perry and is there podcast protocol? So Mike Perry, <laughs> I think he Instagrammed us today. Yes, he, something he like responded that? to our account's uh, DM question, yes. B- BC, uh, I don't know how you feel about it. Uh, I'm, I'm ready for Mike Perry to be on that RSD couch. I'm yeah, ready. Yeah, Mike, can our people call your people? Can we make the travel work and make this work and figure this out? And because... What is the protocol? What are the rules? First of all, on that couch where many a hooker has perished, Mike, there are no rules. But <laughs> when it's involving Mike Perry, my favorite fighter, right? Uh, Ocean's daddy, if you will. Yeah. I mean, look, it goes without saying that that would be our highest rated room service diaries couch episode but like, by far, right? Like that. Would, would he do drugs with us? I think the answer is yes. Maybe, maybe. Yeah, but the stories would. that he's going to be able to pull, dude, I mean, Mike is an incredible storyteller to begin with. But, you know, remember in that bar when he took that old guy out, Luke? I mean, Mike's been through the wars, Luke, you know? <laughs> Little Wing is now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. I'm in a period of emotional people. It's all the, oh, I don't care crap. A Little Adventure. Where are you going? I'm going to steal a bird from the Russian pigeon mafia. Let's do it. Goes a long way. <laughs> Starring Brooklyn Prince with Kelly Riley and Brian Cox. Life can hurt, but life is sweet. Little Wing, rated PG-13, may be inappropriate for children under 13. Now streaming exclusively on Terramount Plus. Citizen sleuths are focusing on the brutal slayings of four college kids. A new Paramount Plus original docuseries. This is the start of something major. Follows online detectives as they unravel the mystery of the infamous Idaho college murders. There's plenty of places to hide a weapon. And turned it into a social media phenomenon. Where are the roommates? It is a huge night. I want the truth from you. Hashtag cyber sleuths. The Idaho murders now streaming exclusively on Paramount Plus. Dylan Danis tapped. All right, he tapped to that security Dude, guard. You know what's funny? I, I always tr- check the uh, trending videos on YouTube. That one, the face-off between he and Logan Paul has been trending for like days. And I don't know where it's at now, but last I checked was like Friday. It was at 4 million views. I mean, that thing wow. took off like a fucking yes. rocket. Well, they sell pay-per-views because that doubleheader's not, it doesn't suck. So, by the way, on my live chat, I should bring this up to you because you were re- requested. And I think they made a good point, actually. We talked about it, but we should really have like a moment here. We need to do a fight companion for Dennis versus Paul, dude. I we agree. do. 
we yeah. need to like have fun with that. So if the producers are watching or whatever, and you're like, hey, what's something we could do? And I think that fight's in October. We need to have a fight companion. That would be that. pretty carny, our fight companion for that carny card. That'd be great. Yeah, I'm into it. And also, Maybe Mike, if like... you're watching this, we'd love to get you on the RSD couch. Uh, I don't know. He lives in North Florida, right? Not South Florida? No, I think, I think he right. lives in Greater Miami, I think. Does he? He moved down oh. to Miami? No, we're, we're being told it's possibly the Orlando area. Orlando. I don't know I know he we're just bought a new Orlando house. Next. Yeah. We'll have to figure we have, something we out. Do have yes, an the off- answer is yes, Mike. We do want look, to we have a home office only in Fort Lauderdale. That's that. What's that? Two hours away from Orlando? Um, oh. Oh, Maybe they we said get- we were in contact with his manager on the last trip. Okay, yeah, yeah. Dude, we'll figure something out with Mike Perry. Okay. We'll get him. We'll get him. We'll figure Love something it. out. All right, and that's it for DMs from Donks. BC, I want to see your feces. All right, I scoured the globe for the highs and lows, the good, the bad, the ugly, the in-between, combat sports beyond. There's going to be some elder abuse, too, so get ready. Buckle My up. Favorite. It's BC's feces coming at you. I mean, that's just the greatest intro that it's man has tremendous. ever made. And we've definitely got male viewers, Luke. Let's go to Noche, UFC, Las Vegas, Lupita Godinez, slam, slam, Luke, on Elise Reed. Let the boys be boys on this one. Yeah, it's Godinez because there's no Enya over the end. But to your point, look at this dude teeing off on her, high amplitude throw. She beat the dude. We didn't even talk about the armbar sequence in the first yes. fucking round. Yes, yes, God, that, dude. That's dude. like a that's like a WWE spike slam. Maybe this TKO influence is rubbing off, Luke. She she puts her flat on her back, but just the strength to do something like that. God damn. Dang. All right. Uh, let's listen in on lightweight Charlie Campbell as he does his best Dwayne the Rock Johnson impression. What did you think about my boxing? I thought- it doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what you think. Shout out to Dwayne Johnson, The Rock. I'm a huge fan. Put me in a movie or something. You know I love a good WWE reference, so I'm going to let you live in the octagon tonight. <laughs> uh, that felt a little a little like, hey, TKO group, recognize me, brother. I can Dude, speak when it. when pro wrestling bits fail in public, uh, it makes me horny. I just, it just. Oh, I don't think it, yeah, it failed pretty miserably. It yeah, it fa- Are you kidding? DC was like, I'm going to yeah. let you live. It failed miserably. Yeah, it did. All right. All right. Well, we mentioned Raul Rosas Jr. bounced back with a bang. Here's just a little, here's a little look at that finish. Just sliced right through the mount. And this is so much better. Keeping the yeah. mount, turning the guy over, and then just going to work. Yeah. Poor guy just had to get saved. Yeah, it was good work. Once he got to that position, it was toast. All right, now you're coming around on him. Here we go. He's the future I of the give sport. Him, I give him fair coverage, not promotional fiction. <laughs> uh, Tracy Cortez and Jasmine Jazdavisius, Luke, had probably the, the fight we were fo- most focused on the prelim card. Yeah. With Cortez, by the way, continuing her unbeaten run. That's a That's a nice victory. But did you see the – it got a little hairy in there. They, let's listen in on this. Grabbing the hair, this right? Watch this. Talking that ish, Luke. That get you fired up or what? Yeah, well, they showed the replay. She did grab a fistful there. It's hard to know how intentional it was. People think it looks that way, but it can be reactive and just kind of instinct. But she got she grabbed some, no doubt about it. Yeah. Did you see Cortez dedicated the win to uh, Henry Cejudo's sister who just passed away after a long illness? I know, which is really quite terrible. I'm sorry to hear about all of that. Um, But, yes, and I will say this. Here was the interesting part about this, BC. 
Cortez looked amazing in the first round, definitely faded in the second. So now it's 1-1 heading into the third, and it's like, it was gut check time. She yeah. still has issues fading, but she answered the, the call this time and was defensively sound enough and still like put out enough offense to take the third. It was a great performance yeah. by her. Still some things to work on, but she looked Quick really hands. good. Was an accurate puncher, especially in that first round where she did look the best of the three. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you there. It was a really nice win to show that she's ready for the next level. Luke, Sean Strickland's been champion for like a, two days, and he's I think he's already broken the title. Let's let's check back in at the home of Strickland here. I don't think I he mean, has enough guns. Yeah, that that <laughs> wow, that's a that's just a bonus to the what's what else is going on in this. And by video, the way, but, the ammunition's on the wall in case you want to break in and. Uh arm yourself yeah I... that's a deterrent uh but there we go duct tape on the title you know duct he's he's playing the blue collar or every man role except for all the artillery behind him uh he's playing it well luke playing it well there people okay. seem to be buying it that's not uh the ufc wasn't where the best fight of the week took place luke the truck stop was though Ooh. don't mess you you f around with some 18 wheelers you're about to find out luke okay let's see let's see let's see he's chirping he's chirping backing up oh shit balls my man came out with like a like a fucking what, like a croquet club or something. Like a, what is like a like a like a kid's cricket bat? What the fuck is this guy doing? Looks like he's being electrocuted. <laughs> uh, the, the the audio on that was great. The guy in the truck who filmed this was going sick. But yeah, I mean, you know, you you mess with the mess with the bull, Luke. You're gonna get the the bat. There's no question. Play stupid about games, that. win stupid prizes. Uh, I mentioned I was in Showbox, Luke San Antonio, hometown boy Ramon Cardenas in the main event. This Although awesome. he's the underdog, improved to ten and zero in his home city with this second round stoppage of Rafael Pedroza, who was unbeaten coming in. Let's let's listen in on the action that finished it off. Wait, what are you doing right now? Oh! Perfect left hook there. Now that's a wake-up call. This is a wake-up call. I am so excited about 9 11. We'll see you in September. Yes, I can't wait. Here's a karate chop in the air for all of our Asian viewers. Look, what do you think of uh, Cardenas' uh, rat tail here? He paired beautifully with this left hook coming out. No, I gotta say, the boxing is tremendous. The haircut, he's got five of them. I don't know which one is worth the cheapest. I'm sorry, excuse me. You can box his ass off. That left, that left hook, this guy had nothing, no answer for it at all. Sits him down again. What a shot. Something about Cardenas in San Antonio, 10-0 as a professional in his home city. Yeah, Luke, I had a, a McGregor-sized, uh, you know, rope there from the uh, Mayweather weigh-in. Was just loving live boxing. You had a frozen crowd. steak in your dungarees. It was great. I was also happy to see you. There's no question about it. All right, we move on from there. Uh, it's time for real recognizing real, which we can get behind. We can respect. How about Jamal Charlo? Do you know that he moved? I don't know if this is full time or temporary from Texas to Pensacola. And he's now working on the regular with Roy Jones Jr. Pre uh, pre preparing for an eventual return from this two month, two year absence. Excuse me. Um, what do you think about this this pairing of Roy Jones and Jamal? I don't know about the pairing. I don't know. I mean, I guess we'll have to see. I don't know. I don't know what Roy's um, 
training skills and record look like? You could probably tell me better. But what I will say is this. I think getting out of Texas is probably a good idea, right? Yeah, I think separating himself, get, you know, being around just a training environment, other people who care about him in that way, and just living there like that a little bit, I think can only benefit him. So I'm actually really glad to see that. I don't know if he's cut if if he's broken up with Ronnie Shields. I think they might be still together, but I think this is more of just like a one-on-one mentorship with Roy. That yeah. I mean, Roy's Roy's become a trainer. It's been hit or miss. He tends to try to go with athletes that that he can teach uh, you know certain tricks to and, and better themselves. It, it, I mean, sometimes I don't know. It, it's tough. It's it's tough when you're that great in in such a natural sense that Roy was. I mean, I mean, obviously Roy put in the work, but he was just the quickest. Do you, know, do you know his corner, his ever. chief corner, um, Roy's chief corner, Tom Yankello? I don't know that name. I follow Tom Yankello on Instagram. Dude, this guy is a fucking encyclopedia of boxing knowledge. And he, like, you know, Roy's up. been taking some of these fights lately. Um, Tom, Tom trains a bunch of guys, but he has been like training and cornering, I guess, Roy in his late stage or whatever his version of his career is. Tom's the man. If you ever see any of his stuff on YouTube or Insta- on social media, like it's all high quality. I will definitely look out for it. Let's keep the real, real trend here. Kazakhstan forever. My guy Triple G and your guy Shavkat Rachmanov, Luke. Right? Is that? Or, I'm sorry, Shav- what's his last name? I just Shavkat Rachmanov. Yeah, Rachmanov. There you go. Uh, yeah, dude, love this to is see a, it. A, this is a power duo. If ever there was one, they've beaten the shit out of a lot of guys between those two. Yeah, yeah, heavy hands indeed across the board. Love, love me some Triple G, even though I mean he's washed, Luke. It's I mean he had a great run, but uh, it's it's you know. Hey, yeah, hey, we'll... so are we. So, so are we. we. Uh, also, real recognizing real. This was moments before Aaron Rodgers found out they'd never walk again, Luke. But at the Jets home opener, there it's Jake Paul. Hey, hey, what is Jake Paul doing there? Do we blame Jake for the uh, for the ensuing injury or no? no? I'd probably blame the turf, but Jake probably doesn't help. You know what I'm yeah, saying? probably probably not. And uh, your wholesome video of the week, uh, this gives new meaning to the term dog sledding. Is this dog dumb as shit or something? No, he's a genius. Watch this. <laughs> Yo, this dog is like way smarter than Tuki is right now. Yeah, yeah, he's awesome. Look at this guy. <laughs> yeah, this dog rules. Yeah, I started yeah. off so negative, and now I'm like, no, this dog is. This is the Leonardo da Vinci of dogs. I mean, yes. All right, time for your regional off. your regional roundup, Luke. Remember regional MMA? Anything can happen. Here is Rashad Evans' godson, Devin Smith, in his comeback fight, mm. getting the spinning back kick KO. Damn! Dude, watch the, if they can show it again. Watch him step out. He's gonna he's gonna maneuver the guy to his own left, and then he's going to watch him step across. Boom! Um, great shot. Really well set up. Well timed. Congratulations, young man. That was extremely impressive. I believe that was LFA, the promotion there, Luke. Yeah. Let's keep it going to karate combat. We all remember Sam Alvey, right? He beat Rashad Evans. He also just knocked this guy straight out here in karate combat. Dude, Jack Slack talks about this all the time, and I didn't pay attention to it because I just you know don't have bandwidth for karate combat. But apparently one of the big things that they're seeing in karate combat is someone will just go in there and be like a karate master and a karate champion and get viciously knocked out by anyone who can throw a, a, a good hooking punch. Yes. Usually it's the left hook. Here it was. Show it one more time, uh, Luke Nosita. Here there are just – watch this. Just a right hook, and it's not a big one. Hands down. Just pops him with it. Um, apparently, hooking punches beat karate. You know how, like, jiu-jitsu is not real? Apparently, karate isn't either if you can throw a hooking punch. Yep. Uh, let's go to CFFC. Here's Travis Miller with your head kick KO of the week. There oh, it is. Oh, man. Now eat Send that. Send him back like a mannequin. Right to the mouth, right? 
Ah, yep. I thought it was going to go to the body. And when I, I mean, look at their difference in physiques. Whenever you see that, you're like, dude, some promoter just, oh, some yeah. promoter just tricked this guy. We got one more head kick. It comes in the world of kickboxing. Fucking hell. What? Yo, actually, that might be the best head kick KO of the week. Damn. Dude, I got to tell you, dude, head kick KOs from heavyweights when they land, like the, what Gonzaga did to Krokop, and then his foot yes. went backwards and shit. They are. I mean, head kick KOs are devastating, but at heavyweight, they feel like extra lethal. Indeed. Uh, I always tell my kids, Luke, that everything in the 80s was just so much weirder. They wouldn't believe it. Check out this birthday invite. Actual birthday invite from the 80s and 90s. Chicks dig guys that eat out. <laughs> oh, that is fucking awesome. That yeah. is awesome. I mean, they're not wrong. But, and uh, also rough, true. Also, yeah, true. So it turns out, yeah. Hey, rough week for women and tables. Here's the younger version first. Oh, no. Okay, okay. Happy birthday to you. There you go. Oh, and no. And let's bring on Abuela for an older version of this uh -oh. tragedy. Oh, God. Oh, no. She's just... Oh, here we go. In the yoga pants, this is going to go so bad. <laughs> it's going to go so bad. Maybe not, yep. right? Oh, okay. Dude, this is the exact same kind of lady who, when she gets on Amtrak, is looking at me being like, can you help me put my bag overhead? Okay. And I'm like, no, lady. Eat that table. <laughs> Fuck off. I'm telling you, bro. Here is the... Dude, I'm, I want to say this to the, all of America. The world watching. If you can't take your bag, the kind you would ordinarily check in at a, at a flight, if you can't lift that overhead, you're a piece of shit. I want you to know oh, that. Oh, okay? come on. I mean, you know, there's a lot of people that can't. You're saying they should check it. That's what you're saying. Check the damn bag, right? I'm saying people bag. don't realize because, uh, so what's the, what's the limit on flights? Like it can't be more than 50 pounds, something like that, right? That's how much a bag can be before they go. It's too oh, heavy. Oh, yeah, or the ones that you check. Yeah, unless you're yeah, yeah. first class and it's like So, what like I'm saying is, when you take a train, they don't have a place for you to put bags like that, at least not very much. So, you might have to take that same kind of bag and yeah. put it overhead. And I mean, they always courtesy, come to me on the train car and they're like, yo, can you help me out? And I'm like, lady, if you're like 65, I'll help you. You're 45. You're just well, fucking weak. Well, okay. But I mean, you're a large man, Luke, with big muscles, okay? It's not their no. fault. No, I'm a man who needs his privacy. That's what I am. I'm okay. a man who respect. I have here. Here's me on the train. Ready? Here's me on the train. Okay. BC, this is yeah. international sign for leave me the fuck alone. Yeah. That's, That's also you during our, our meetings, by the way, just so the public gets a little, a, little, a little intel on that. Yeah, there you go. Hey, college football is back in full gear, Luke. I'm not talking about Colorado being 3-0 and with Coach Prime. How about this sideline catch at the OU game? Watch this. Oh. <laughs> he did the Alfred Poopanoo. Remember that guy, the Chargers oh, tight end? That yes. is, that's so great. Yes, yes. That that's, that's your By the way, here. I'm a big Coach uh, Prime fan. Are you? Oh, hell, it was, well, he was like my favorite player of all time in the pros, so in Dude, the NFL. So, yeah, yeah. I, I still have an old sign somewhere. I'd have to find it when I went to go see him at Fulton County Stadium, which was yes. two Brave stadiums ago. When they yeah. handed out signs that said Neon Dion for when he was playing. Oh, you still have that? That's badass. I yes, love that. I kept it. I kept it. So it's somewhere right. I have to dig it up. But um, Got yeah, my toe dude. spacers. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Next to my yeah. toe spacers. Uh, let's go to spacers. college game day. Look over Stanford Steve's shoulder here, Luke. You'll see your sign of the week. Chicks get rammed by our... <laughs> 
by our Gamecocks, apparently. Yes, that's what uh, they Yes, by Gamecocks. Yes, yes, there, yes. There it is right there. Okay. And, uh, Luke, let's listen in on this Iowa, Iowa quarterback, uh, Johnny Come Lately, I'll call him. You know, really everyone just being on the same page because we know these guys are going to come. Uh, a lot. I mean, there's, <laughs> that was, that was... <laughs> but, uh, I mean, we have to be on key with our hots. We got to be on key with our protection. So, um, <laughs> damn it. Uh, I was not expecting that, but yeah, we'll, we'll be. <laughs> well, well, Luke, <laughs> I mean, football is homoerotic. There's really no two yeah. ways. Guys are just talking about coming on each other. Not that there's know. anything wrong with that. Luke. No, no, okay? no, it's fine, but it is what it is. But speaking of football, uh, time for your football Jersey of the week. I don't think you've seen this one out at the commanders game. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it's kind of direct. It's direct. It's, it's in your face. Wait, wait, okay? wait, wait, but what team is that? Is that like a, <laughs> Is that like a Seahawks jersey? Like, what is that? I don't Detroit? know. Luke. Is Detroit so it's a Lions jersey? Uh, I don't know. That's 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 Team Ejack. But yeah, there he is, number sixty nine <laughs> in your scorebook. There's Team Lojack um, for your car yeah. and Team Ejack for your for your. Uh, yeah, <laughs> let's go to the Packers game. Here's your T-shirt of the week in the NFL. I'm not saying I like it. I mean, this lady. <laughs> I, I, mean, I I honestly would <laughs> rather get castrated than fulfill the <laughs> message of this shirt. And here's your runner-up for T-shirt of the week. You could probably catch this guy at any gas station in the. Uh... Dude, yeah. look at this toothless, <laughs> meth-addled zero. Oh come on! He bought that at the Minnesota State Fair, Luke. He probably had Dude, the this turkey guy would leg, wear too. this to a court date. That's what makes him awesome. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. <laughs> we so how do you plead to using meth on public school, elementary school grounds, lady? I do pedicures on camel toes. <laughs> All right, I got to get out of here. Luke, let's go to the next one. Here's your uh, boxing knockout of the week. Yes, indeed. This is a pretty good KO. It's a great KO. But people were acting like it's an amazing KO. I don't think it's an amazing one. No, I mean, he was, you know, he was dead out on his feet and he got, he ate two more shots. Yeah, that's what it is. All right. Uh, Luke, um, this is a couple weeks old, but I never got your reaction to... uh, Coked up creepy Connor in the uh, banana hammock on the exercise bike. I mean, Luke. Are we doing this again? (laughs) No, this is not from the Mayweather weigh-in, but. uh, Dude, this uh, guy is so in love with his own uh, uh, bulge. You know with I mean? his own bump, Luke. He he takes yeah. many, many bumps, actually, he's into it, it appears. but uh, He's on a boat, huh? I mean, is he going to fight in December, Luke? No. No. Doesn't look like it. Doesn't look like it. All right. Uh, let's go to your best bumper sticker we've got this week. You ever see one of these tell you rides, Luke? I can tell you ride dick. <laughs> got him. Yeah, there it is. All right. Hey, time to rate that tat, Luke. What do you think about full sleeves, like full black sleeves? So uh, I don't. They're called, it's called blackout, I believe. Um, they're actually harder to do than you might imagine. This is not that. This is like some combination of geometric and Mendalia, whatever the fucking word is. Um, but it's not, they're actually, they're, it, it, in reality, they're actually really hard to do. But um, this is not, it's not a poorly done tattoo, but it's not my favorite. Okay. Uh, what about this one? This UFC inspired tattoo next? It's probably bad. Why? Well, UFC fans no good ink. Yeah, I mean, this is... Wait, is that Ray Flores' arm, Luke? 
Uh, yeah, I mean, this is a not a very good one. Um, you know, the the look look at the line work on the belt; it's kind of all over the place. So, yeah, it's not that great. All right, all right. Um, let's see what we got to close here. Uh, you ever see a guy like this in a bar, Luke? A a a, a slick mover. Oh yeah, oh yeah, my man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty good. He probably got like a half a beer in there. Yeah, slick moves right there, X-Lex. And our final one, Luke, I, I promised elder abuse. Listen in. Yeah, let's watch it. Where is it? I just... Hey, watch out. All right. It's slippery. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. Yeah, man. Motherfucking trail. Look at this shit. What's this? I just hey, watch oh, that's out! Slippery. All right. It's slippery. Yeah, man. Oh, that's that great! Guy is so that's nonchalant, great. like the other guy just completely broke his back, and he's like, "Yeah, man, it really yeah. is slick out here," you know. All right, Luke, I gotta go. I gotta, I got an interview. I gotta do. So, why don't you just take it home? It's been great doing the show with you. Okay, thanks so yeah, much. Yeah, welcome oh. back. Nice to see you. Glad you, you. glad you make it back from San Antonio in one was, piece. Yeah, All right, nice to see you. Let's let's set this up for everybody here if we can very quickly. Uh, of course, thumbs up, subscribe, all that fun stuff. If you haven't already, there's our socials. You can follow us there. Very quickly, one more time, morningcombat.store for all of the merch. That's available for you. You can go check that out. Uh, let's see. Showtime is the label that pays. Showtime.com. Get a 30-day free trial if you'd like it. You can keep it. If not, feel free to bounce. Morningcombat at gmail.com. Back on Wednesday. Interviews in between. Lots of stuff going on this week. Keep it locked. Thank you for watching the show today. We greatly appreciate it. We're out of here. And until next time, may all of your gains be loyal. Survivor 46 is here and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast. And we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts.